0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there and welcome back to Taken Off Air. Yes, I'm in my host voice because why the hell not? And I am joined by John like and Stefan. We don't have a Jay because he is busy at work. So, Jay, when you listen to this back... Hello, Hobbit, Indonesian Hobbit. How you doing? Are you enjoying your work? Are you enjoying it? Aye, good. Now, anyway, let's continue with the show. So, the first topic today... Uh, Stefan, would oh. you like to start with one of yours or shall I start with one of mine? Why? pick it on the Irish? I don't know. It's because I was thinking of short people and the leprechauns came into my head. So now I'm just doing a leprechaun.
1: I've got a lot to talk Right. So, hold on. Um, I've got a lot to talk about, but I want Will to be present. So it'll be later in the show. <laughs> uh, oh, God's sake. So, <laughs> I. I uh, all uh, and what I can talk about is Apple. So this will. When Jay listens back this year, like this. Um... <laughs> on, this is going back a little bit, but on May the 30th, 2015, a woman um, in Silicon Valley in Northern California, her husband had died and she was clearing out the garage and took a load of boxes and stuff um, of electronics to ele- an electronics recycling centre, right? Uh, so anyway, she she didn't pay, um, she didn't get a tax receipt thing. Well, obviously, it's a thing in America. Obviously, our tax holder and stuff, but basically, she didn't get a tax receipt. She didn't leave a number or a name or an address or anything. So, they didn't want to process it. So, they left the boxes for a little while. After a while, somebody looked through them and discovered in it, right, of her husband's, uh, you know, no longer needed electronics. She had traded in a generation one Apple One computer without known. <laughs> so, to put this into context, uh, the Apple One computer, uh, it's this one sold in auction for $200,000 to a private collector, right? Um, and the company's policy is, even though it is, it's an electronics recycling center, so half of it goes to charity and half it goes back to the people that donated it. So they have a £100,000 check from, well, I've looked everywhere, uh, and I can't actually find anywhere where it's just claimed it or not. So I think they're probably still looking for this one. So she's a hundred grand Although
0: I, I feel like if I feel like if she's heard about it, or like I'm assuming in the local town news or something, there would have been something saying like the won it. So I'm yeah, I'm assuming she would have come forwards. But even then, there's no real way to prove it apart from the eyewitness of one person who's who's can go, yes, this is the woman that handed it in. Exactly. Unless they've got CCTV of the desk, and usually CCTV isn't clear enough to see a face anyway.
1: Exactly, but um, the the thing is, um, the, how how many were we made? Basically, blah, 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 blah. We've uh, tried to find, but there were only a certain amount made. There was only a few hundred made.
0: Stupid. Yeah, it was just the first prototype type thing, so it, it wouldn't have had a mass production, it would have just been like the te- the test one before the start had actually going for
1: it. So Wozniak made them. Um and uh, Yeah, so uh, there was only a few hundred made, but from what I got out when they made and released the second Apple computer, they basically said, um, anyone who's got an original with Apple one, bring it to us and I'll I'll discount you for the second one because he thought it was basically useless, it was redundant, it was a bit embarrassing, it was an early kind of didn't really work very well. And this second one was so much better, so he wanted to encourage people to bring them back and then they destroyed them. So as of 2013, only 63 Apple computers or parts of Apple computers had been confirmed to exist and only six were verified to be in fully working condition.
0: <laughs> so it just and, depends on who's been taking care of them and who's been storing yeah, them properly.
1: And, and this woman turned up, and basically went. Oh, I don't need that. Uh, I oh, just just trade it. Stay at the recycling center as you do.
0: Chances are, I had no idea what it was. I mean, I was. Oh yeah. We've got a at work. We've got a cupboard full of stuff. I found something that I'm I like absolutely adore it. It's a little black box, right? Yeah. And it was just sat there, and I never really looked at it, never bothered to see what it was. I just assumed it was like a mini computer from a, from a while ago or something. It's a two terabyte external hard drive, and it looks like a mini desktop. It's like that big. Right. Nice. It's just like a two te- terabyte hard drive that I'm gonna have to go on and probably wipe. That's cool. I feel like it needs to go in the bin because it's old, so I don't know if it Apple works. Generation one was
2: 25 sold.
0: Two hundred, yeah, that's
2: it.
1: In like um, ten months, yeah. So I, I then went and looked. Um, I mean, there are there are daft like one off. Uh, so there is. I was having to look to see what was the most expensive. So the most expensive sold internal server error, not this one. Then. Um, the most expensive sold. Um, was b- 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 the cheapest started at about $10,000, which was an Apple Lisa. Yeah. Um, was designed by Apple in 1983. The Lisa is the first graphic user interface PC designed for business users. It also was the first PC with a mouse built to be marketed. Uh, it was a significant model from Apple named after Steve Jobs' daughter which was delivered with a 1-megabyte RAM, 5-megabyte external hard drive and a 12-inch monochrome display, all powered by Motorola's 5-megahertz CPU. The price unit of today would be around 24000 but but one got sold old. Hello, Yeah. Um, so, you, I'm, you know, I'm going through them. But um, I'm just going to read you the top three. Uh, number three, a 24-karat gold MacBook Pro. Right. The 24 sounds really expensive. The 24 karat gold is a special edition of the MacBook MacBook Pro designed by Apple. It prides an exterior embodied with 24 karat gold, Apple logo engraved using platinum or diamonds. The extravagant piece is engineered with a power, powerful 5.1 million pixels display which features vibrant colors and wide viewing angles and high contrast. The price of this is 30,000 US dollars.
0: Right? All right, I feel like it should be more. To be honest,
1: number two is Otazu Ego Diamond. Ego's price actually starts from about five grand, depending on the cl- depending on the client's choice of design. With the designer handbag shape, the most fanciful o- o- Otazu Ego features four hundred and eighty diamonds, right, making it the second most expensive PC. Ego's cover is built with a high-gloss black wrapped in a 100% ostrich leather.
0: Ostrich leather? What
1: doesn't say quality like peeling an ostrich to make a bag from it?
0: I mean, yeah, that that's that sounds like something someone ridiculously rich would do. Uh, the price for this, Kyle, is...
1: £350,000... Well, US dollars. Right? Eh? And the most expensive PC, a computer. Go on, what were you going to say there?
0: <laughs> Just, like, if you're rich enough to afford that, you shouldn't be buying it. Like, you should <laughs> not have the money to buy that. If, if you're rich enough to afford to spend your money on stupid shit like that, you've got too right, much money. The first
2: one, the map the ma- in know. pounds, that's only £21,687. I know that's not really yeah.
0: only. That's only, he says. Yeah,
1: it's it's only twenty one grand.
0: It's it's only the entire life savings of like compared, most people. It's only the, the amount that you get when you retire from and certain then companies.
2: Is
1: 050 pounds. Right. Now number one, the Luva, Luvaglio. The Luvaglio. Right, Luvaglio. Possibly, yeah. With a description of an expensive-looking case, so I don't know why the can't just show you the case, but it's got a description of an expensive-looking case. The Luvaglio is a handmade laptop embodied with, uh, yeah, diamond, and open for options on choice of design. It's a product specifically designed for elites by a London-based manufacturer, Luvaglio, founded in 2005. Buyers are allowed to personalize the laptop designed by choosing the sort of precious stones that should be used on it. The Luvaglio has a 17-inch LED screen with reflective glare protection, Blu-ray drive, 128 gigabyte disk space, and built-in USB memory drive. Until now, it's the world's most expensive computer, priced at around a million.
0: And its specs aren't even that good. If its hard drive's only hundred and twenty exactly,
1: games. exactly. It's so it, it, it's a handmade laptop. It's a laptop. A million pound for a laptop just because you can choose that's basically 000, what time what 000, precious stones you put on it. A million dollars. Sorry, it's million dollars. So it's so a
0: glass.
2: It's a it's. 722, it,
1: 722, however, Jordan, if you want to keep your your converter all. Right. I was looking through. So this is back to the Apple one. So the most expensive computer you can buy in the world at the minute is about a million dollars. Right. So this is kind of a, a brief. I'll run through the history of it. So in 99, there was an Apple one sold for 50 grand at an auction. Uh, in 2008, the website Vintage Computing and Gaming reported that Apple One owner Rick Conti was looking to sell his unit and was expecting a price of about $15,000. Uh, he, he ended up donating the unit to the main personal computer museum in 2009. A unit was sold in September 2009 for $17,480 on eBay. A unit belonging to early Apple computer designer engineers Dick and Cliff Houston was sold on March uh, 23rd, 2010 for 42000 uh, November 2010, an Apple One sold for £133,250. Uh, at Christie's Auction, Auction House in London, the price was likely rare, due to the high price was likely due to the rare documents and packaging offered in the sale in addition to the computer. This included the original packaging with the return label showing Steve Jobs' parents' address. The original Apple <sighs> computer in headquarters being their garage personally typed and signed letter from Jobs answering technical questions about the computer and the original invoice showing Stephen as the salesman. The computer was brought to the Polytechnic University of Turin, where it was fixed and used to run a, the basic programming language. So this had everything that was only worth, or went for one hundred thirty-three grand. Then 2012, uh, one went Sotheby's for a record of $374,000. A couple more got sold for around 100 to 200,000 mark, and this leads up slowly builds and builds and builds until September the 25th, 2018, a functioning Apple one was purchased at the Dallas auction for 375,000 by an anonymous buyer. Now, the most expensive, uh, laptop, obviously, you can buy new is about a million, and that's higher than what you can buy these at auction. I mean, um, on August 20, 26, 2016, the 40th anniversary of Apple Computers, the rarest Apple One in existence, an Apple One prototype made and hand-built by Steve Jobs himself, right, and took the holy grail of computers, was sold for $815,000 to win and bid as Glenn and Shannon Delamore, the co-founders of the cosmetics firm Glamglow, don't know what that is, in an auction by Charity Buzz. For, prof- for, for the profit in their company that raises funds for non-profit organizations declared that 10% of the proceeds would go to leukemia and lymphoma society based New York. So $815,000 for what they call the Holy Grail computer as a prototype Apple One, hand-built by Steve Jobs. But as of January the 23rd, 2020, a fully functioning and registered Apple One is still listed on eBay for one point seven five million US dollars. I love how it's on eBay. Yes, but
0: like people have going to go thing. on eBay. People going to go on eBay and go, hmm. I'll just look at what what's expensive. Ooh, a computer for one point something million dollars. I'll buy well, that from someone well, from eBay. To be eBay fair, eBay doesn't have the best reputation for being like not no, like, it, it, consistent and l- legit.
1: Yeah, but I, I agree, and a m- majority of them have been sold by Christie's Auction House in London or by Sotheby's, which obviously deals in like expensive rare shit, uh, no matter what it is. But it's uh, million pounds. It, yeah, some of them have been sold in the past, and not for one point seven million for the mo- what will be the most expensive computer ever. Well. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to double check. So, in September 2009, there was one sold for seventeen and a half thousand on eBay. In October 2012, there was a non-working one that was sold for eighty thousand US dollars at an auction because it had been listed on eBay the the December before that with a starting bid of one hundred seventy thousand and failed to sell. And
0: Following the Christie's auction, to...
1: <laughs> well, this this is the best thing. So they the try to sell it for 170 grand, didn't work. So they took it to auction. It only sold for 80, which is about fifty thousand pounds. Then after the Christie's auction, it was restored to a fully working condition by computer historian Corey Cohn. Uh, um, and the Apple One was listed again on eBay where it sold for two hundred thirty six thousand one hundred US dollars on April 2015. So the This guy wanted 170 grand for it. Didn't get it. Got 80 grand for it. Somebody restored it. Put it up two years later and got 300 grand for it.
0: (laughs) Why would you spend that much on eBay?
1: I'm sorry. I, I mean, if you if you know what you're buying.
0: No, like the only way I would buy something from eBay for like any sort of amount like that. As if I had been to the guy's fucking house or wherever the thing is stored, seen it with my own hands, but perf- personally inspected it to make sure it works, there's no tampering, it is in mint fucking condition, and oh, then agree. it would be cash in hand. It would not be... Trust someone over the internet to send us something for 300 grand that may or may not exist mm, or no, may or may not be in the condition as true.
1: I would, I would assume that for an auction like this, which you can't use PayPal with eBay, that you would pay PayPal it, in which case PayPal would probably hold the funds or you'd be, you, you, I'm assuming you go pick it up the same person. If you weren't happy, you'd be able to claim your money back. But if you've got, to be honest, if you've got 1.75 I mean, million sorry, and I, you wander on eBay for an oil hour... Mail trust the right way no, I'll be picked it up in person actually for 1.7 million you'd send your butler you would send, send a, your butler you'd send your butler I mean, in the rolls so it had a nice smooth ride back
0: <laughs> I know I mean like I got a package from Hermes and bear in mind God. when it says where, where do you, you want us to put the package where do you want to, <clears throat> want us to put the package if you're not in I usually don't put anything, because we have a front porch, which is fine. Where I live, people don't, like, steal shit. There's no porch pirates or anything. Nobody has stolen anything around here for years. It's, like, one of the safest places you can live. There's never anything wrong around here, really. Hermes decided to go through the little alleyway next to my house, into the back garden, check that the shed that has a padlock on it is not locked by twisting the lock and undoing the padlock, open the shed and put the package in the shed, send me a picture of it in the shed, then lock the shed back up and bugger off. I can While beat no one was in the house.
1: I could beat that. We got in the other day, let her through the door, round the back, barbecue, it was like, okay, went round. Lo and behold, the fucking package, the two packages were actually in the barbecue. And my mom, my my mom had a delivery once from I don't know if it was Hermes but it was from someone else. it was definitely a delivery company it was either Hermes or DPD I think um, the uh, they didn't leave a note or if they did it wasn't there so it mustn't have been in the letterbox properly uh, she went out to put something in the bin which luckily had pretty much just been emptied uh, they decided the best the safest place to put it because she has a safe place behind the bins because our bins are hidden behind the fence behind the gate. Um, most delivery drivers, no problem with that. Uh, this particular delivery driver had decided the safest place to put it was in the blue bin.
3: <sighs>
1: now, Good job it wasn't bin there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then didn't leave a fucking note. He's so, like, oh, that's behind the bins. No, it's in the bin.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest. Like, there was no note in the front door, and like, I like it when they put a note through your door saying, "We've left it here," or yeah, the Royal Mail. like the Royal Mail, because it makes sense. You've got, you've got a note. You've got a legitimate thing. All Hermes did was take a picture and send it in an email, which ended up in my spam folder, which ended up in my fucking deleted folder. Having said that,
1: the Royal Mail do like to go. Mm, we've left you the note, but there's nowhere to put a seat and come pick it up. And then they take it fucking miles away to some random sort of office that's got nothing to do with it. And also, what Royal Mail yeah. did do to my girlfriend was she'd said, This is a safe place, put it there. They went, Okay, no bother, I accepted that on the website. Right? Yeah. Then uh, we, we got the little card, you went in, blah, blah, blah. Okay, no bother. Uh, we will take it back, order for a redelivery, I'll pick it up. So she said again, filled in the form, re-delivered it. This time, this is the safe place. Okay, no bother. Delivered it. No, no one's in. Took it away. Right. Then made her go and pick it up because they, when she when she argued with them online, had said that the safe place she had chosen wasn't safe enough. But it's her parcel. If she thinks it's safe enough, even if it isn't, and they put it there, it's on her instruction. It's her fault. That's fine. We'll accept that.
0: Exactly exactly there's <laughs> evidence proof and like a binding contract there in written writing saying exactly this is the safe place leave it here yeah it's not up to them to go mm, it's not safe enough we'll just go go away because you never know if anything's safe enough you could say put it on the roof and you could end up with fucking batman on your roof stealing it for all you know some
1: someone parachute in the niggas
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, you always see you always see the things of someone crash land in a plane in the middle of a road, or parachuting accidentally into a town because he was off for, for, by like a kilometer. A
1: kilometer, which yeah. is
0: definitely something I would do if I had to parachute over a plane. I would end up lost in the sky and end up in a town, probably on top of a church tower, because there's always a church tower somewhere. I
1: don't. Why is my?
0: Carry on. Anyway. I am going to sort of link it because we've talked about dollars and pounds then. Jordan was helpfully com- cl- l- 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 not colliding, not collecting, converting. Colluding. That's the word. Converting the dollars to pounds. So I have a question for you guys. The pounds as in the weight measurement pounds, so stone pounds, yeah. uh, why, why is the abbreviation LBS?
1: LBS.
0: L- L- um, I don't know, man. Do you know? Because I have the answer. I don't know, no. The answer is, of course, Roman.
1: Right. Uh, and
0: It's because it's derived from the ancient Roman unit of measurement called Libra Pondo, which uh-huh. meant... A pound by weight. Pounds came from the Pondo part while LBS is an abbreviation of the Libra part. Libra, iconically being the star sign, uh, star sign of scales, so it's always to Oh, right, oh, okay. So I was Roman taking language. the piss there, but yeah, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, it's legitimately because the star sign for Libra was weights, so right. <laughs> Lib- Libra, apparently Fair in enough. the ancient Roman language... ...meant along the lines of... Uh, uh, ...yeah, um... ...fuck sit, turn, you bastard. <laughs> I've got an advert for a car. I don't need one, thank you. Uh, yet, the primary meaning of Libra was balance or scales, because... ...as in the astrono- astrological sign, but it also stood for the ancient Roman unit measurements Libra Pondo. ...eh... Uh, the Libra is also why the symbol for the British Pound is the British Pound symbol, because it's an L with a line through it. The Italian Lira also used the symbol, but with two lines through it instead. Yeah, I knew about Lira. With, with, with the word Lira leg- legitimately just being a shortened version of the word Libra. Whoa. They just took out the B. Uh, and. And it also says where we got ounce from, uh, which is related to the word uncia, the name for both the Roman ounce and inch units of measurement. It came from Anglo-Norman French, where it was uns or ounce, but the abbreviation was borrowed from medieval Italian, where the word was onza. These days, the Italian word is oncia, and the area once covered by the Roman Empire has long since just switched to the metric system. But that sums up Britain. We took a French word, ounce, and then abbreviated it using the Italian word, onza.
1: I can link into this. Oh, you ready for a smooth transition? Remember when I told you that uh, if you order a panini, it's actually panino, unless you have two different breads? Yes. Yes. Right. So this is going off your theme of Italian, then, where we get worse from. Graffiti. If you have a wall with it, all kinds is of it different... Graffiti-o? It is graffito. A single piece of graffiti is known as graffito. Uh, especially, and I'm going to find it, because I remember... Look, look um, graffito is the single meaning. It means to, like, inscribe. Um, yeah. So it's not... It, it Technically a uh, graffito, as a dis- as a as a dictionary definition is an inscription or draw made on some public surface such as a rock or wall right and um, so yeah it's it's the yes. singular form of graffiti so graffiti uh, have been made Throughout history, they are found in abundance on monuments of ancient Egypt. Technically, the term applies to a design scratched through a layer of paint or plaster, but its meaning has been uh, recently extended to other margins. Graffiti produced with spray paint became notorious in New York City in the 1970s and have appeared in cities all over the US and Europe since then. The 20th century preoccupation with manifestations of the subconscious stimulated this form of expression and produced as a vogue for graffiti art, graffiti are sometimes considered a form of folk art, so technically anything gr- well technically first of all graffiti wouldn't ne- wouldn't really be like painted things that's a modern thing it would uh, traditionally yeah. be something scratched in it or something but if you scratch one thing so if you if you graffiti your name and it's just pale or whatever you just draw a picture or something and it's one singular bit that's graffiti yes. If I then add to it and I draw a pig having a shit and Jordan's name underneath it, that's graffiti because it's several different.
0: So if so, when I carved my name into the dining table when I was about five, that was legitimate graffiti
1: by definition. By
0: definition, because it was
1: carved and it was singular.
0: And then I, when I tried to add pictures <clears> to it, but was stopped, that would have been graffiti. But well, I was
1: stopped. Was it in the same sitting, and it was by the same person? In which case, it's still graffiti. It's your singular depiction. No, it was later. <laughs> then I'm not really sure. That's kind of dubious because it is technically different. It's technically on, but it is also still you. So I'm not sure.
0: So, but yeah, so it, graffiti. Is it- is is it is it only graffiti if it's like another person has added to the art, or is it is it still graffiti if the same person came back and added to it, it later? Well,
1: that's what I'm saying. It's graffiti. I don't, I'm not sure because basically, if you think of it, if you are painting a picture, right? If you sketch down and you do like a base and you do your background colors and that, and then you leave it for a week and then you come back and add in a lot of detail and make a complete paint if you're an artist, you haven't then made two pictures. Yeah. So I don't see why it would then be two different, like it's still you. But if I came and added to it something you'd started, then technically that would be, it's two different types put together. So if you'd started doing something that I come and drew, like you were doing, like a 12th century castle or something, I came and drew some cars in front of it and totally fucked it up. That's not part of your picture. So that's technically me messing with that. I think that's when it becomes graffiti. That's what I would say.
0: I don't know. If you want to, so it's, up com- it's, to it's like a combination of two stars. So it's it's like, yeah. it's like when, when people, so I don't know if people actually do this or if like some people so, so like do do this, but for, for some, for some yeah. reason it like, it, it popped into my head for some reason of like people doing clear pottery and stuff and one person would do like a part of a pattern and then it would move down the line to someone else who would do like a different part of the pattern. It would be a different yeah. pattern. But it would still be like it's all interlinked, and, and you end up with tears. Yeah, yeah. What so would that would that be classed as um, It's I don't because I, it, it because it does say in the original it's to carve it into yes, stone or plaster. Yeah, right yeah. There yeah. There. But so it also it like also a specifies a,
1: a public surface, so I'm guessing it means like outdoors, I on a wall or something like that. I, I, I don't think it applies in that sense. The same as if you. Painted. If you made a bit of pottery, then I painted it. And it wouldn't then be graffiti; it would just be painted and decorated. You know what I mean?
0: However, if it was a donated piece of art to to a charity or something, or statues, you know how statues? like statues. St- statues are sort of owned by the city. They're, they're sort of public, but they're still sort of owned by the city. If you graffiti a statue, is that still graffiti and not graffito because it's someone else's work and your? adding to it even if it's miscellaneous
1: or uh, no if you are the first bit then that is a piece of graffiti because it's the same as if if you did it on a wall if you scratched into a wall or painted on a wall somebody a a, a builder has still built that wall the brickie has still built that wall it's still somebody else's work if you graffiti on a building somebody still built that building it's all about the the initial piece of art if you like not necessarily the in, in inscription terms. So if you do it on a statue, a statue is a piece of art. Somebody's designed built, made that. But you defacing it, I suppose, is the best way to put it. If you deface something, if you vandalise something, and you're the first person to do it, and it's one bit, that's graffiti. Or oh, it's only when people add with that's graffiti. What I did learn in my research about this, though, right, is that they, they had a yeah. massive problem with people graffitiing all over the Great Wall of China, right? So now I'm there's a section of the Great Wall of China. Canvas. yeah. So now there's a section that you can go to, because obviously it's illegal and it's a World Heritage site. There's a there's a place you can go to, a specific section of the Great Wall of China, where they encourage you to graffiti. So you can go and write stuff and do what you want. And it's purposely there so that you won't go and do it elsewhere on the wall. So there is a graffiti section on the Great Wall of China, which I didn't know. I mean, but kind of makes sense as a deterrent. It's like a kind I of think- get your childish tendencies out the way here so you he don't go piss up on the rest I, of the
0: world. i can understand it but at the same time i hate the idea of someone like i hate all that stupid shit of defacing Wait, like take-
1: especially something as important as that
0: yeah architecture yeah. and stuff like it's one of the wonders of the world who the fuck looks at looks at it and goes i'm gonna tag that yeah. Fuck off. If you if I sit if I am at the Great Wall of China and I see you graffitiing the fucking thing, I don't care if it's on the loud bit, you're getting fly kicked off the fucking wall. <laughs>
1: yes, John. Uh, Please uh, interrupt uh, this round.
2: <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that if you do deface something like a statue or anything, it's now ten years in jail.
1: It is, yes, yes. Um, what I will say is, though, on a great wall... kick off a mountain. Are you ready for my trail of research? The other thing that I realised, so this is from me realising that panini and panino, well, panini is actually plural. So then I was wondering when I heard, I had just heard graffiti, randomly, I was wondering, and it is graffiti, also, so that's quite... Um, so there's
0: anything that ends in e yeah, apparently then then in I Italian
1: found, then I found that obviously the Great wall of China has this graffiti section through looking at the graffiti then through looking at the Great wall of China uh, I found out that every Chinese astronaut that's went into space has had the government assigned project if you like um, to see the Great Wall of China because that's that's the proudest thing about as you can see from it obviously it can't it's too thin um but what what the hard done is so You can't see it from space. But what they've determined is after a few astronauts had went up that if you were in a very, very, very low orbit and it's a perfectly clear day and you have a telescopic macro lens, you can. But the astronaut that took this photo admitted himself later on in an interview that he couldn't even see it when he took it. So he was there in low orbit. was like, this is the best chance I've got. It's kind of. It's there, I can't really see it, I hope we can see it. Took the photo, and apparently when you get the photo and zoom right in, you can just see it. So he couldn't even see it when he took the photo.
0: So it's like when you're taking pictures then, of wildlife and you've just holding the camera, <laughs> press and hold, and it's just snapping loads of things, and you're like, I've got no idea what just flew by me, but I'll know later. A bit, yeah, but he
1: was like he was like, I kind of I'm sure it's kinda of there, I'll just take a photo, I can't really see it, but I hope we can see it on yeah, the other And now the Chinese government's still like, yeah, I can see if I'm space look.
0: <laughs> which is completely bullshit it's, yeah well you know unless you've got like a massive telescope, <laughs> telescope. complete bullshit this is got telescope yeah
2: short story that I think we would do if we were struggling in school
0: that is wrong struggling in school I mean we did struggle in school
2: let's tell you the story first This is it's sort of an American thing but
0: okay I don't think we'd struggle in American school
2: report <laughs> card I get shot. This person put, I failed the first quarter of a class in the middle of school. In middle school. So I made a fake report card. I did this every quarter that year. I forgot that they mailed home the end of the year cards. And my mom got it before I got, could intercept with my fake. She was pissed. And at the at the school for that era, the teacher also retired that year and had already thrown out his records. So they had to take my mother's proof. The fake ones I made throughout the year and correct the mistakes I've never told her the truth.
0: <laughs> so this guy just faked his way through school, and because his teacher retired and couldn't be fucked to keep the records, he managed to pass all his courses because he had perfect scores and Hold shit on. in his eyes.
1: I, I, I understand that when you were a teacher, if you retire from it, you're not, you're not going to want to keep records. Like If I'm teaching you and I retire, it doesn't matter if I keep your school records personally in my possession. But surely the school keeps the records.
2: Once you fit- the, the, the keep
0: it's legal requirement the account has to stay open for I, I think the account has to stay open for three years but like records like paper records you have to stay for like five or ten years because we've still got records from students that I'm sure I saw records the other day from students that were there when the school basically opened in 2000
1: yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. The, like, the, surely there's a record of his actual grades and the reports that got the, sent back.
0: The, there must be paper records or something. In which case, if there why does the teacher just destroy them at the least? If if it isn't, and like, and that's like, that's just bad form by the American school, and they deserve it. If that's the case, to be honest, if to be honest, have
1: good record to keep. be honest, I don't think it's the worst record American schools have.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, some of them probably brag about the school <laughs> shooting records. Do you think it's like a competition? We've had twenty shootings this year. No, we've had thirty. We win.
1: Well, no, because it's not. It's not that it happens all the time. in specific schools. It just happens all over the America, all over the America,
0: all over the America. <laughs> it's why you. Do, it's why you don't have gun laws that let people walk around with guns in the bloody pocket.
1: Yeah, you should be like in in UK. Pi- in Our gun laws are strict. You're not allowed a shotgun license to you too.
0: No, I'm. I'm gonna say <laughs> before any Americans try and argue, I think it's Iceland or Greenland. But it's one of the ones that they always try and use an argument that have like gun. They have guns and they've got gun laws, mm. but. Th- there's like the lowest death rate or something that's because in that country it is stored in a fucking locked chest that you cannot access without having a specific key, and the ammunition is stored separately so even if you can get to the gun it's not fucking loaded until you go to another locked place to get the fucking bullets for it by the time you've done that, you're probably gonna be disheartened to try and shoot up somewhere All right is that right.
2: <laughs> Wasn't it? Wasn't it basically Americans' arguments for guns and that is because it's in the constitution, sort of things. So they say, "Oh, we've got right to arm.
0: It's it's in the constitutional rights, but the constitutional rights were made when flintlock rifles with a standard and muskets and shit, which meant you could fire one shot, a fucking or two shots a minute if you were good, maybe three if you did the whole um, tear, in spit, tap and didn't point the gun down, didn't stuff the actual muzzle in. You could maybe get away with three rounds a minute, but that's three rounds a minute versus a 100 rounds a fucking minute to modern standards. Are you ready?
1: Are you ready for the argument I had with an American? Oh, that's
0: cool. Yes, please get me away from this rant. Otherwise, I will just spend the next hour shouting at a man. Well, my,
1: yes, so my rant was the and, and stuff like that. So, second amendment right? Yes, right. Okay, the second amendment right, which is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right to the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed ie you should be able to bear arms to protect yourself against wildlife against bad people essentially outlaws stuff like that this was written in 1791 right in 1791 you had to load powder shot and gunpowder into the front of your pistol then load a bullet usually just a ball bearing in front of that then fire it you could not walk into a fucking room and more down 100 people in 30 seconds, you couldn't fire that amount rounds. So my argument was that, and then he was like, all right, well, it's all all about the person that's got hold of it. A teaspoon could be dangerous. So my response to that was, I can't remember the last time I heard a news article about somebody walking into a room of 250 people and killing them all with a teaspoon.
2: That would be impressive. Yeah. Exactly. And the, it would be, and the, but be John Wick. Style. The
1: other thing, as well, is there's no reason. So the right there's there's two reasons. There's two reasons that you should be allowed to own or to use a firearm. One, you if need you a a, for your job, either military or the certain forces in the police force, because not every police officer needs a, a firearm, right? Two, no. you hunt, right? You're allowed firearms to hunt in the UK right with proper licensing and in-depth background checks and stuff like that the the thing is right if you so then they go oh well you need for hunt right if you go to hunt a deer and you fire off uh 30 rounds in that general direction that meat is not going to be edible even if you kill the deer so therefore that is a useless weapon therefore that is a waste of time there is no reason for any Automatic or semi-automatic firearms to be anywhere in the world other than on the front lines of the military. There's no need for yeah. it. If you if and if you are if you have a rifle and you have one bullet and you shoot the deer and it's a bolt action or it's whatever lever action whatever you want if it's if it's like single fire rate so the, right? the
0: the preferred rifle for every yes. hunter in the world exactly. because it is a cleaner if, kill.
1: If you shoot at an animal. And you don't hit it, and then by the time you've reloaded, the animal's left. You're a shit shot anyway, so therefore the animal should be allowed a chance at life. You can't hunt with an AR-15.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: No need for it to exist unless you're in the army.
0: No need for the general public to have it. It's like deciding you're going to hunt with a fucking 50 cal. It's going to ruin the meat, ruin the hide, ruin everything. You're going to get fuck all. It's pointless. The only reason you would ha- you would own a 50 cal is cuz you like the big bang and the big noise and the fact that it destroys walls and shit. Or you want to hunt a bear from the which has by no way. use. Which has yeah, which has no <laughs> use for actual hunting or anything that you would use it for. Yeah. Apart from in the military where it's used to fight fucking tanks. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There's no reason for... At the end of the day, anything that's automatic is made to kill. It's made to kill humans and big amounts of them quickly. And that is for the front lines of the military, not for your random high street when somebody gets in a bit of a bad mood.
0: Exactly. So this uh. whole this whole
1: Second Amendment right, anyway, the whole point of it is, it was written on... Uh, in, in 1791. The world has moved on since then and whether the fucking... There have been how many amendments to the U.S. Constitution? It's about time that
0: amendment got amended. If if Americans are following hey, if Americans are following the fucking Second Amendment that closely, then I need to follow the <laughs> seventeen the seventeen hundreds or eighteen hundreds law made by the king. During the Hundred Years' War, which yes. states that all pe- all peasants, men, women, any person, whether they are rich or poor, must practice archery at least two hours every Sunday in pre- in preparation for hunting or any sort of archery for anything like that for war. In which case, every single person in England should be legally obliged to shoot arrows for two hours every Sunday. Which the English, by the way, decide, got, in typical English fashion, got outraged about, went to the pub, got pissed, and then argued who was the better shot. To which they decided, we're not going to practice two hours on a Sunday. We're going to practice two hours every day when we're not at work, and then on Sunday, during those two hours... We're going to have a competition where we're going to put money on who's the better shot, which basically just turned into a gambling ring of <laughs> archers and stuff, which basically the king the king and the officials couldn't do anything apart from base, just join in because they'd made the law stating they had to practice archery for two hours on a Sunday. All the peasants did was add money into the equation. I
1: want you to hold on to the fact of the king And I want you to hold on to the fact of archery because both of them link into the topics that I've got that I want Will to be here for. Yes! (laughs) You've linked perfectly into my research, but I can't say it yet, I'm
0: waiting. (laughs) To be fair, the brilliant thing is, (laughs) <laughs> this is the reason why Longbowmen, like, we had so many Longbowmen at, like, Battles of Agincourt and stuff is because we could we could just call on peasants who had been practicing archery for hunting and just random shit so yeah. much that they were given, mil- like, if they were called up to arms by the lord and stuff, they were given proper supplies, they were given a brigandine and uh, a... a Quiver of arrows, which was called a specific weird name, mm-hmm. but on average on average they had a certain amount of arrows that, that they had and that they had the bow which was standard made by the way. England cut down nearly every single U in fucking England, making these standardized bows, long bows, which each are about six foot. And up to the point where we ended up importing it from different countries. Hold on. Well, no, you don't have
1: to hold on. But I will say, um, oh, 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 Ooh, ooh this is in the actual notes.
0: Sorry. While while you're going, ooh. um, but yeah, th- this is the reason why the English longbowmen, which necessarily for people who don't know, they weren't always English. The Welsh were actually. The yes. primary bowmen the Welsh were the ones who it, if if you were gonna be politically correct, like you like you still have to be nowadays, it should be called Welsh long bowmen because the majority of them are Welsh. It, origi- it sort of originated in Wales and England sort of stole the idea and so then it was used long before long it was used for years before that, but the Welsh so made it not? big and so against not? the English well, and then the English stole it. Because they are British, British, yeah. Because because of the English army, it would make sense. But the issue is, yeah, that's the reason. It's because when it eventually became popular and when it became like such a well-known thing and it was a massive thing, it's because it was part of the English army. It wasn't the Uh, Welsh uh, army, uh, and it was England.
1: Hey Kyle, I will tell you that a longbow, traditional medieval English or British longbow, right, made from you, was exactly six feet tall. Right, this is part of my research. And I will tell you that the draw weight of one was two hundred pounds.
0: Mm, right, it depends because the, the of the ones that they've managed to recover, they've only managed to recover bits. The only co- completely full like bits that they managed to get was from a wreck called Mary Rose, mm-hmm. and the draw weights. The reckon the draw weights vary between 80 and 130 pounds because that's sort of the minimum required to kill someone and possibly punch through plate armour at a close range. The early plate armour, which was quite weak, well, in chain the higher range, which was like the, basically getting into massive war bow territory, was yes. the 200 pound
1: one. Yes, so these, these are based off the ones used in the Battle of Agincourt, which were traditional English army longbows. Um, they were. They had a two hundred pound draw weight, which is the equivalent when you draw this, right? It's the equivalent of holding a fourteen stone person with just your right arm, right? Mm-hmm. That's how strong these archers were, and it was such a it was such a high draw weight, and they were so good at it. They used to do it. Obviously, you could. They reckon that if you dug up a, a, an army or a battlefield, they excavated it, you could tell who were bowmen. Because if they used traditional long with a the 200 pound draw weight, as you wouldn't battle most of the time, uh, the actual bones in the right arm and the muscle was different to what a normal person yeah. would be.
0: Yeah, Th- they, they were deformed. The thing is, when you draw a bow, mm-hmm. if you look at the historical things and everything, they didn't draw with just the arm. Yeah. They sort of drew with both arms and the shoulders. So it was all the shoulder muscles, the left arm, the right arm. All that would the be
1: muscles. for 40s, stone.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it was basically you would draw the bow with your entire body, not just not just your, um, your arm. If yeah. you couldn't, it would be physically impossible unless you were massive. But they would have different bone structures and stuff just to make up for it because of the practice that they were doing. Even just hunters and stuff, they would have def- be deformed because of the two hours practice. It was causing deformities and stuff. Yeah. And they would have terrible arthritis as well because it would knock the joints and all the bits and pieces but at the same time if you're like shooting someone in, play- in the early plate armor at close range with that poundage bow it's going to go through but this is the sort of thing you know how games and all this sort of stuff like lord of the rings it's the elves that have the archery and stuff in a lot of games like D, it's dexterity that is for archery a lot of games have dexterity and that sort of thing if it was to be in like an actual, it would be stat, strength. It would have it would have to be strength, yeah, because it it doesn't require much dexterity. It does requires dexterity to be able to aim it and possibly move while you've got it. Well, well, yeah. If so you I, are, I, if you're drawing that thing, the strongest soldiers on the battlefield a lot of the time would have been the archers because yeah. they would have been fucking massive So yes, I, I
1: agree with that, so I get what you're saying so g- g- generally in, in a game sense, in a day and d sense that like you were saying, it's going to be a single archer, so the dexterity is the thing because it's the dexterity of of you, dexterous enough or you capable enough to aim to hit the target but realistically, in uh, on a medieval battlefield, with a 14 pound draw weight, you would have to have an incredibly strong person to fire a long at a long distance Right or the distance required in a, in a and you'd be in a in a company of a couple of hundred to uh, two three ten twenty thousand other men that are all aiming that way to where ambassadors are so it didn't yep. matter what mattered were you were strong enough to draw it hold and release it and it would go far enough to cause enough damage in a volley of hundreds and hundreds of arrows. it didn't matter how good your aim was because you would probably hit somebody if there was a whole army stand there.
0: Yeah, and you, you know how in films you see the whole aim, ready, release, mm-hmm. like there's a commander telling them. Yeah. That was essential because one, it sort of the arrows so archers didn't just go, right, go and fire as many as they could and just like completely fuck it up and run out halfway through the battle. Yeah. But the, it was specifically designed because, yes, an archer of the time could fire quite a few shots in a minute, but it would wear them down to the point that after that minute they would be completely fucked.
1: You're talking about everything so, I want to talk about.
0: <laughs> do you want us to stop and I'll move on to something else and we can come yes, back? Yes, we'll come back to this, please. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to it. Will, we'll come where back are to you? You're of a bitch. I'm just, I'm just excited because all week I've been reading about English. I know. And all, and stuff, all so. week I've
1: been studying the Battle of Agincourt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, I'll move on. We've been using units of measurements, so I'll move on to another unit of (laughs) measurements. It's a medieval unit of measurements, so I'm keeping with the medieval theme. Uh, You could actually get a buttload. A buttload is a measurement. Yes. It's specifically 129 gallons, usually of wine. You could order 129 gallons of wine in a barrel, and it would be called a buttload of wine.
1: That,
0: that that makes sense. Uh, the the it's uh it was wine or whiskey. Um, it was f- like the casks. It, you would fill the barrel up. Uh, if you've f- filled it up, you would technically have a buttload of wine, though you would just call it a butt. Um, it's it was usually. It's usually only used at wineries and places like that nowadays because nobody bothers. But it's derived from Old English, Dutch, Italian, and French. Uh, but actually comes from bot, a medieval French and Italian word for boot. In Italy, at least, bot is still used to refer to a wine cask. Uh, hmm. The actual amounts have varied somewhat over the years for it. But the numbers provided by the Macallan Distillery in Scotland uh, say that a butt is 108 imperial gallons. It is also half a ton, which is a ton with a U, not an O, which is 216 gallons. A third of a ton, 72 gallons, is a puncheon. Mm. And a third of that is a TS. Half a butt is called a hogshead. And a boring old barrel is just 36 gallons. And a lol worthy kilderkin mm-hmm. is 18 gallons. So it's the small, it's tiny. The smallest unit is 9 gallons, and it's called a firkin, because of course. Because, wait, because of course it is. It's called a firkin. I'm assuming <laughs> you could fit it in a firkin or some stupid shit. You could also call it a rundlet. Uh, All these words were used in measurement, and they were basically invented by fucking cavemen because they've been in use for years. The imperial system measures the weight of humans in stones and the height of horses in hands. So good luck trying to figure out any fucking shit like this without having prior knowledge in that industry. Yes. If you wish to sound sophisticated, and if you can figure it all out, the measurements are firkin, Kilderkin, hogshead, half a butt, uh, which is a hogshead, a tias, a puncheon, uh, half a ton, and a butt. And, but if you want 36 gallons, it's just barrel. They didn't bother giving a fancy name to that. That's just a barrel.
1: <laughs> I, I will say that on the unit you know, of measurements, I've got different kinds of measurements, so two that I do know of, right? So one of them is a moment. Right, so in time you say, "Oh, there'll be a moment." Yes. Do you know how long a moment actually is, off the top isn't of your head? is it something
0: like zero point zero zero two of a second, or some shit like that? It's extremely small period of time, but it's only meant to be like zero point two of a second, or something.
1: It isn't so recently. Um, it, it's except uh, stop googling, you son sort of a bitch.
0: Um you He's <laughs> yeah, re- googling because he goes silent. And yes, you just see I know. The screen light up.
1: Uh, recently, uh, <laughs> it's it's been described as so. Apparently, the average time you can take to hug a person is about three seconds. So after about three seconds of hugging someone, it becomes a bit uncomfortable. That's a general, and it's the
0: same when you shake hands. Or, or It turns into cuddling.
1: So you have <laughs> you have this inbuilt kind of. um you, like, you've, uh, you've got a body clock Yeah, it's like an inbuilt kind of sensor to this thing and it, it that, 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 is a, that, yeah, that is a moment, so it's generally three seconds of things, so your body kind of naturally times things in three seconds, if you're hugging someone for more than three seconds it becomes uncomfortable if you're shaking someone's hand for more than three seconds it becomes uncomfortable, it's like a natural thing but a moment in time a moment, or momentum as it was used, was a medieval unit of time. The movement over uh, of a shadow on a sundial covered 40 moments in a solar hour, a twelfth of the period between sunrise and sunset. The length of a solar hour depended on the length of the day, obviously, which in turn varied yep. the season. Uh, but the length of a moment in modern seconds wouldn't obviously be fixed, but on average it would be about 90 seconds. So... The a uh, solar day can be divided 24 hours of either equal or unequal length. To former the former being called the natural or equinoctial, equino- and the latter artificial. And they're always divided into four puncta, which are quarter hours, and ten minuta, which are forty momenta. Also, um, the unit was used by medieval computists before the introduction of the mechanical clock and the base sixty system in the late thirteenth century. It wouldn't have been used in everyday length. Um, for medieval commoners the main mark of for the passage of time was the call to prayer at intervals throughout the day. The earliest reference found to the moment was from the eighth century writings of the venerable Bede, who describes the system as one solar hour is four points and five lunar points, which is ten minutes, which are fifteen parts of forty moments. Bede was referenced five centuries later by and Angulacus and his Early encyclopedia, de Proprietius Pro, 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 Reterum, or the Properties of Things.
0: God damn it, Mister Angry Goose! Call it something simpler.
1: <laughs> Anglicus, as well as Roger Bacon. By the time at which uh, at the moment was further subdivided into twelve ounces of forty-seven atoms each, although no such divisions could ever have been used in observation with equipment and use at the time. So I don't know how Roger What did I need? To...
0: Where it's like 0. 0.2 of a second, then or two seconds? So I don't know. I'm sure there's a unit of measurement that's like that tiny that it's completely like obsolete. I'm, the, the, it might there be like a be. tick or something like when you say just a tick or something. Yeah, just two ticks. Uh, but uh, well, yeah, I, will so... say, I do. I don't think I have ever shak- I don't think I've ever shook anybody's hand for more than three seconds. But I'll yeah. be honest. I don't think I've ever shook anybody's hand for more than one second. Oh yeah. Of course, but apparently, if you like hold ph- that physical, co- yeah, like ne- never have I ever went to shake someone's hand, and then just went one, two, three. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, I did- my body goes right, one shake, done. Bye. <laughs> That's the thing you go like that.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so it was it was essentially ninety seconds was one moment. It was actually a
0: actually a thing. Well so yeah, it was slightly longer. I also than
1: I also know that, or I heard that um, old medieval clocks, watches, whatever, wouldn't have actual divisions of time in minutes and seconds like we have. They would have the hour. No, and then they would have it would tell you basically the hour and then how many, uh, fifteen minutes or how many quarters had passed since the hour. So, for example, if you if it was the eighth hour and two quarters had passed, you would know it was somewhere between half past eight and quarter to nine
0: yeah I mean I quite like that because if you think about it, a lot of timekeeping a lot of the times when you say "What's the time?" you just wound up to the closest time thing close. so that that sort of attitude survived so can we just go back to that instead of everybody being finicky and going actually it's uh, 20 seconds to 32 past eight yeah can we, can we just go back to it being half past quarter to time? 15 past. Sorry, quarter past. 15 past? Yeah, Kyle, English. 3, quarter past. 2. Half past. Yeah,
2: it's two minutes till 25,
0: too. I think it would still be classed as half past if we were doing it, because I think it's in the the lower numbers you round down. If it's under 5, you round yeah, down. If it's over 5, you round up. Yeah. You? Yeah, that's so how it would, it
1: would still be was. half past here. <laughs> yeah, which is what we do. So, we would, well, generally, yeah. we'd say twenty-five to 28.
0: Most most people do, yeah. We would say uh, it's half past.
1: The other um an acre, Kyle, is a yes. unit of
0: land. An awkward bastard.
1: No, yeah. an acre is sixty-six by six hundred sixty feet.
0: Yes, yeah, an awkward fucking bastard. Why couldn't they just make it... As, I mean, I like the fact that it's that it uses sixes and it can turn into the number of the beast pretty easily. Yeah. But I hate the fact that it is something like 66 and they didn't just go, so, right, it's 70 or it's 60.
1: I knew it as about 45,000 uh, 45, square feet, but it's actually, I've got the number here now, and it's 43,560. It's a unit of land area used in the Imperial and US customary systems. It's traditionally defined as an area of one chain by one furlong which is 66 feet by 660 feet which is exactly equal to 10 square chains which is 1 640th of a square mile uh, it's approximately 4047 meters squared or 40 percent of a hectare right based upon the international yard and pound agreement of 1959 an acre may be declared as exactly 4046.8564424 square meters the acre was sometimes abbreviated as ac, but often spelled out as acre. But traditionally, in the Middle Ages, obviously you couldn't actually, like, physically measure it accurately. So the original definition of an acre in the Middle Ages was an acre was conceived as the area of land that could be ploughed in one single day by a team of eight oxen.
0: Fair do, so that's why it, that's why it was classed as that. So it was it was dependent. Yeah. It was dependent on you could do so many acres. That sort of makes sense. Now yeah. So you could if have you it, had, you, if if you had one oxen and had it going all day, you could do this amount. So yeah. you would work out if you've got six acres, you would need this many oxen, then you could solve. Well, no. So it was it was how how and employee. It, it
1: was how much land a team of eight oxen could plough in, in a day. Right. So I'm yeah, I'm assuming it's, it's, as well it means daylight like So yeah. if you if you had a farm and I had a farm right next to you, we could both have one acre. Right? In medieval Britain. Yeah. But you could have another fifteen thousand feet of square land if your eight oxen were slightly faster than mine. Yeah. So it wasn't it obviously wasn't an exact measure. Or, or if you
0: just or if you just had a few extra oxen. Yeah. But I'm assuming I'm assuming it would be like the, the average. So like when well, you no, when you were in those time in, in those times you would work out if you had an acre you needed eight oxen, which meant you would probably need someone to control the oxen. Yeah. Depending on how how many people would control each oxen. I don't know if it would be like two per carriage or like what. Uh, no. But yeah, it's crazy. If you think if you think of old fashioned, if you think of old fashioned like mean.
1: horse, if you think of old fashioned like horse and ploughs, a one for plow plough behind a horse, so you one horse for one fur, So technically, you could run an oxen there. So if you think of a, a modern ploughs like an angle and the furrows are like that offset, you could run an oxen, yeah. then another one slightly behind it, the next furrow, and you could do that in eight rows. So you could have your eight oxen set like that. So as long as you had eight people to drive the oxen, one oxen per plough, you could pres- presumably plough quite a lot in a day.
0: It it works out quite, I suppose, but it does work out quite expensive if you think if you think about because that's eight oxen you've got to maintain keep healthy, eight probably hired hands that you've got unless you're one of them it would probably be your family doing it but like mm-hmm. it would be eight hired hands or seven plus you that sort of thing so you would still be the you would have to look after the oxen, pay the pay the wages of the people. Still, probably work the field and make sure you've got a good harvest and stuff. I yeah. can imagine there's probably there was probably loads of issues of the harvest wasn't good enough for like. Well, that, that's it no, though. If you if you
1: do that, if you've got that size of operation and that turnover and then times it you would potentially have a massive crop yield. Uh, relative yeah. to the time, so you would get a lot of money back,
0: and farming was a lot more be lucrative because a lot mad. of people
1: depended on it. It was life or death.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but I I can imagine it it was also ex- like even more devastating also, I, if there was something like a famine or yeah anything, because I, that I, means I don't you're think
1: completely... I, I don't think many people would have had eight oxen to be fair that's just what the measurement was determined by so yeah. if you had one oxen and you did one in the day your times would buy eight and that would be your of land. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm
0: guessing it I'm guessing it would be working on um...
1: so it all all it is is that the definition of the time is what eight oxen could plough in one day would be what an eagle was defined as. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm going to go with... We've had the troubles of a farmer and sort of the measurements of a farmer and stuff. I am going to go onto a deadly tree, which would definitely fuck up the farmers if they found this bastard in the field. Uh, is it a woman trees in Florida. So, so every, <coughs> everybody thinks crocodiles. Florida is... <laughs> idealic and lovely and like crazy crazy. it also has these uh, it's trees that are so deadly that even standing under it in the rain is enough to cause blistering if the skin mm. is whetted by raindrops <laughs> containing any sap additionally so, know- if one yeah. of these deadly trees is burned the resulting smoke can cause blindness in people's eyes if it manages to like get into your eyes
1: I know about this it's the, mechan- the, the mechanical fire, the chemical in
0: the tree, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the it's the McAneel or hippoman mansinella. Uh, it's a member of the spurge family. The it's the world's most dangerous tree. Of the flo and it's in the Florida Everglades and the Caribbean coast. The sap that its tree trunk ex- exudes is so poisonous and acidic that the merest contact with human skins cause a break- causes a breakout blisters uh, and blindness can occur if it touches a person's eyes. Uh, a what, single what, what, what? bite who, who's, smoke- who's who's tre- Who gets that eye hit with a tree? No, I'm, I'm guessing it's, like, <laughs> uh, the they've, they've either burned it or, like, the like rubbed their eyes after touching the tree. Yeah, okay, thing. that makes
2: sense.
1: And it and comes contact
0: with the sap. Yeah. This is
1: Americans, we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. This is true. True. They probably rubbed their eyes on uh, trees. <laughs> in,
0: a, in addition, uh, a single bite of its small green apple-like fruit causes blistering and severe pain and can prove fatal I thought if you... one of its... Is burned it can like cause blindness just from the smoke as well so it's the case of basically don't go near it because the sap if it gets in your eyes whether it's in smoke form or in just the form of you've had your hand on tree and then you wipe your eyes think chilli powder in your eyes but to the point of you are now permanently blind well you
1: said you said just one bite and I thought you were going to say people get bitten off the street (laughs) now
0: I mean that would that would just I would not be surprised if that tree could evolve <laughs> to just go ow, to be honest. This is a Venus mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just Venus to be honest.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I've i I've definitely heard about because it's similar to the way that poison ivy reacts to the chemical and it reacts with your cause it's technically itself, but it's already because it's it's like a ivy not a tree uh reacts with your skin yep. um it, it's similar to that if i'm not mistaken but it's the um carcinogens it puts out and toxic chemical compound it puts out when it's burnt as well now, i couldn't remember the name of the tree i couldn't remember where it was i honestly thought it was i thought it was in south america or africa possibly somewhere but i, I remember reading about it or hearing about it at some point a, a while ago that there was this tree that literally like it can turn your blind. To you touch it, you get serious burns on your skin. People get hospitalised because of it because they don't realise what it is. Um, I've definitely heard about yeah. it before, but yeah. And we just
0: have boring trees. Um. So yeah, no, we we have trees that smell like cum at certain seasons. Yeah, we do. It was it, like Queen Victoria had them planted in like one of the big parks. Of, of, outside the royal palace or something, because it was like a gift from another nation. And nobody... Like, it was the worst decision ever made when you realised what it smelled like. But I feel sorry for the person who had to stand up and admit that they knew what that smelled like and go, you know what that smells like? <laughs> we have good trees, Jordan. We should cut them down. Don't Yeah.
1: So, I am gone too."
2: To be fair, there's a tree in charge of the country, so it's alright.
1: No, that's a plant. (laughs) No,
2: that's harsh.
0: Plants plants are useful. This is true. I like it. So, I like the insults.
1: Every year, the United Kingdom, in autumn, the Woodland Trust holds Tree of the Year. Really? So there's Tree of the Year and there's European Tree of the Year. Not
0: anymore. Right? Now please tell me ridiculous things have won it. For ridiculous reasons. Such as blocking a road.
1: I mean no, so there there are some quite impressive ones. But Jordan said we have boring trees, but the best one is it's not the Woodland Trust, it's European Tree of the Air. Right? now this is what <laughs> I was trying to fight before. European Tree of the Air in two thousand and fifteen. Right? So there's a reason. Uh, that have that I've picked this one. Because the winner was an oak tree. Right? That is over 150 years old. Oldest trees in, in basically, uh, yeah. Existed. And it took first, it took first place in 2015. It's in Orisare in Sarema in Estonia. Right? And it's because it's in the middle of a football pitch.
0: And I love it already.
1: This, you're going to hate it soon, all of it, I'm not sure. But it's, I'll, I'll show you a picture of it in a minute, but it's in the middle of a football pitch. It's massive, right? The locals, it's a common thing. The tree has uh, is at the heart of the community because in 1951, there was a small sports area beside where the oak tree now is, so it wasn't actually in the way, right? Then it was right. made bigger, it was extended, right? And when they extended made it a little stadium, uh, the tree was basically in the middle of the thing. And according to legends, right, that it was when Estonia was under Russian control and Stalin sent two tractors to try and pull the trees to cut it down and pull it out of the ground. And the cables kept breaking. So it gave up. It still has marks around the trunk from these cables, right? And it's just in the middle of the football pitch. And this, and they say that uh, students now know how to use the train to complete passes and it offers a and shade to the players. Uh, But there was also other accounts that said you barely notice it once you've been playing there a little while. Now, I'll let you be the judge of this, if you could barely notice this tree as you're playing football, uh, because I think it's noticeable.
0: I mean, if it's a tree in the middle of a fucking sports pitch, I don't care how long you've been playing there, it will still be noticeable. I mean,
1: I think you'd notice that if you were playing a game of football.
0: Yeah, just a bit. I like the fact that when they gave up, they didn't give up and go, right, we'll move the stadium a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right or something, just so it's out the way of the tree. No, what we'll do is we'll build it there. If you look at it, the stadium doesn't even have walls or anything, so it's not like they've built a stadium (laughs) they've literally built a path around a field and put some goalposts in it.
1: Yeah, they've built a path and a little pavilion and some goalposts, but it's in the middle. I mean, I'm... I've played football in a lot of different football pitches, and I think almost all of them, in almost every case, I'm quite confident that I would notice if there was a tree that big. It says, because it's on a university campus, uh, and it says that uh, the students use the tree to complete passes, it gives them welcome and shade, and that they don't often notice the 12th man because they're used to having the 12th player there on the pitch.
0: Is it like when we used to play five aside on the astro turf, where you just, where because the wall was classed as no limits, <laughs> you just used to pelter off the wall to do passes over people and stuff. Well, I think maybe
1: this is why Estonia hasn't got I feel a great like what
0: People would do. I feel like what because the two used to trees being. Uh, yeah,
1: place. I think when they go to play in the World Cup, they're, they're like, oh, i pass. They're like, I can play a pasted Dave over there or whatever, and then the. Ping it, and there's not a tree there, so it just goes straight to the other team, and then they're fucked. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, or maybe they don't get enough shade. <laughs> that tree.
0: Make put that on the tree.
1: Makes sense. I know. Tree, that tree's more useful than Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, one of hey. the best things. I'm sorry, it's going to be sports for about three seconds, yeah, Kyle. Uh, when no Saint Maximan come on and equalised and scored and won with the game, it's right? Like a I went, I was watching the highlights on YouTube the other day, right? And literally the second comment on the one that the second most liked comment was finally Joel did something useful. He left the pitch.
2: <laughs> I was Bruce took him off,
1: actually. Yeah. Anyway, Kyle. But a mm. normal people conversation. Kyle runs
0: with- <laughs> right. I am going to return, I'm going to return to time periods and like going back in time and forwards in time and everything like that. <laughs> Before you do, uh, since you've go-
1: mentioned pattern time forward, time, if you could go backwards or forwards to any point in history, where would you go? Would you go backwards? Would you, go forwards? Would you go the past. Or future?
0: Go forwards. See w- see what sm- what companies are like massively successful. It's like, butterfly effect, so you
1: can't act on it. You're going go- So well, I'll go this. No, then you can go. Out. It
0: wouldn't. It, it wouldn't go. It wouldn't go like butterfly effect. Act on it. It would be. I would go back and put a little bit of money into, like, the stocks of them. That's affecting
1: affecting your future. So, okay, then, you have to go, but you have to go beyond your lifetime or back beyond the beginning of your life?
0: Beyond my lifetime. That doesn't count Uh, to see
1: what companies are being built.
0: I don't know, because I would be tempted to go forwards and see what my family's up to in the future, like, Mm -hmm. what might descend are doing if they've done anything interesting and all that sort of stuff and maybe like, especially with the way I'm trying to write books and stuff if I do manage to get one published, maybe see if it's still around, that yeah. sort of thing I would- but at the same time I'd love to go back into the issue is with the butterfly effect if you go back in time, you would have to be so careful that I don't think you would enjoy yourself because you'd be constantly looking over your shoulder and making sure you're not fucking stuff
1: Okay up. then, so what if it's like an eye in the sky, it's like uh, you're not actually physically there you're to be able there, to affect things you can see? I would always go back and the argument, because I've always said this, and the argument I've got, or, or the, the reasoning I've got, sorry, it's not necessarily an argument, because it's a matter of opinion, but the reasoning I've got behind it is if I go into the future, if I go 10 years at the future and I'm still alive at that point, then I'm going to see that anyway. I'm going to see that happen. I'm going to live through it. So there's no point in this going there. If I go beyond when I'm dead, what's the point? Because it's beyond my lifetime. I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to live to see it. So also,
0: it, the future might be extremely boring and nothing happens for the next 20 years. Well, well, no, that's it's, yeah. of what's happening.
1: Yeah, well, regardless of that, a lot of the past is born. But the point is, I'm either going to live into it or it's never going to affect me because it's beyond my range of lifetime. So, therefore, go into the past because it doesn't matter when you go into it. Any time between the evolution of humanity, the very first humans, and now, everything that's happened in one way or another has indirectly or directly affected what's happening now with us.
0: Ooh, wool. Right. Mm-hmm. Does it specifically be have to be, like, a set point in time, No, just could if you, you just travel through?
1: Just if you go forward or back, you can go back, but beyond the end of your lifetime, where you go forward and just have a look and see what's happening, so you can see no, what's coming up in the future, and if you it's want not, to it's,
0: it's just because if it's not a specific set time, it's, like, or, like, a specific time that you select, it's, like, you can just go back to wh- whatever and do the Imagine if you go back to like the ve- like before humanity evolves and everything like that, and then sort of like pressing f- fast forward on a button, you get the speed run of humanity evolving, so you can see what's well, going on. You get, but you you sort get, of you get see the see every single you get, thing.
1: You get the t-shirt.
0: Yeah, you get the t-shirt. You you get the sort of juttery seconds where you can see what's going on. You can see the evolution from every little bit, and you can see who the fucks right. There are, there
1: are certain points I go to. I think
0: Jordan, where would you go to? Bed. Yeah. No. If we've still got
1: Jordan, <laughs> yeah, he is still here. No, would you go forward or back, Jordan? You go forward. Why would you go forward? Just so I
2: well knew what was coming and so I didn't act on it.
0: But you it's knew not what was So you didn't act on it.
1: <laughs> to be fair, that does something like going. <laughs> 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 well, I know that's gonna happen now, am why don't you change it now, as they fight?
0: World War Three happened. Why? Because Jordan Jordan didn't throw away this can, and it's sort all of led <laughs> to this event. Jordan in Jordan in Mondays. Well, I'll know not to bother throwing away that can, <laughs> just to cause it. Hey, yeah, no, mm, I'd always go back. I'd always go back. That's the thing. The it was Franz Ferdinand or something. He was the was he the guy that got assassinated or the one uh, who assassinated someone to start World War One? No.
1: I? So World War One, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. So he took a wrong turn. His uh, driver took a wrong turn. Was going to carry on and come back onto the original route. He said no, it's all right. Turn round. Uh, earlier that day, a uh, Serbian, I think, assassin had tried to assassinate him by throwing a grenade at his car. It missed and blew up the car behind him in his motorcade. And it just so happened that where Done this 3.2 point was exactly in front of the shop where the Serbian guy was, and was like, "Hold oh, well, on, that's him there." So he just went outside. John, that's yeah. The
0: guy, the guy who assassinated him, his house was destroyed, rebuilt as a museum.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Destroyed in World War One, destroyed again in World War One, rebuilt as a museum. Destroyed in World War Two, rebuilt as a museum again. It was destroyed again in a conflict, in another armed conflict. Rebuilt again. Its most recent rebuild was in 2015. Or 2005. One of them. It's in the two it's, thousand. It's literally been rebuilt like four or five times because this one house, this one building keeps on getting destroyed. And it's the guy, it's the assassin who killed Franz Ferdinand's old house. It just keeps on getting blown up and destroyed and they have to keep on rebuilding it as a museum. Hmm. So, that is just, like, I think that's just fate saying, don't make the same mistake, don't let people see what inspired them and shit, just fucking let it be rubble, you bitch. Do you know, right, that, uh,
1: basically, uh, you know, uh, Laos, right? Laos? Laos? Laos. L-A-O-S. Laos. Laos? Um yeah,
0: La- Laos Laos. Is is the most bombed nation in history. Isn't that because it borders like three countries that are permanently at war? It's because the What's US bombed
1: Laos between 1964 and 1973 as part of a covert attempt by the CIA to wrest power from the communist Pathet Leo, a group allied with North Vietnam and the Soviet Union during the Vietnam War. So it was bombed in the uh, Vietnam War. Then it was officially a nuclear company, between the it became a battleground in Cold War between the United States and Soviet Union. An American bombers dropped over 2 million tons of cluster bombs. More than all the bombs dropped during World War II combined. Uh, and it's now it's uh, the most heavily bombed nation in history. So it's basically because it borders Vietnam, uh, China, Burma, and Thailand, Russia. Thailand and Cambodia. No, but It was neutral ground and then Russia and America started fighting over it. So it went through the Vietnam War and then had to deal with the Cold War.
0: So life tip: Don't live in Laos. You'll get bombed. Yeah, really, don't live in Laos.
1: Uh, before the whole Cold War, it had uh, a history of interference from its neighbours. Um, from the thirteen hundreds and so so it was constantly being invaded and fucked off and stuff. But then, uh, yeah, I'm
0: just I, constantly.
1: I, I'm just skipping through. Just it's. A, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, in The Europeans entered the free in 1893 when France declared Laos part of French Indochina. To the French, having Laos as a protectorate was a means to control the Mekong River, a valuable trade route through Southeast Asia. France's grasp on Laos first slipped in 1945 when the Japanese occupied it at the closing days of World War II. When atomic bombs fell on Japan, Laos declared its independence under the short-lived Laos, uh, Lao Isada, Free Laos, government of Prince Preteresh's. 19, in 1945, the French regained power the following year. So <laughs> then it was It lasted a year. Yeah, so then it was independent. 1954, following the victory of communist Viet Minh leader of Ho Chi Minh over the French at the bloody Battle of Dien Bien Phu, the ensuing Geneva Accords Geneva Accords split Vietnam into North and South Vietnam and stipulated that the French relinquished their claims in the Southeast Asia. The agreement was not signed by the United States, who so feared that in an absence of French influence, and uh, French influence, Southeast Asia would fall into communist forces. So yeah, it was bombed the shit out of
0: because the thought it might go into communist hands.
1: Um, a ground war, house
0: with the U.S. forces,
1: was not on the table. President Kennedy wrote in as early as 1961 that Laos is the most inhospitable area in which to wage a campaign. Its geography, topography, and climate are all built-in liabilities. Uh, but bombing Laos will see as a safer means of cutting off communist supply lines to Vietnam before they could be used against American troops. So he was like, no, we're so going we- to fight that. That's ridiculous. Have you seen the country? We'll just bomb it.
0: Yeah, it's the most American thing possible. Yes yeah. we can't we can't land there. We can't do anything there. Let's just send a plane with a few bombs. Yeah, so
1: they bombed the shit out. So it was bombed the shit out over the World War. And it was bombed the shit out of the Vietnam War, and then it was bombed the shit out of the Cold War. The Cold War, where there was famously no fighting really between the two nations, they still bombed the shit out, but just because it was
0: communist. <laughs> the most American thing in the world. How,
1: how, how also, uh, you know, all the Americans could have, could drop more bombs on one small nation than the entirety of World War II and still haven't written in the history books that it was a war where not much blood was shed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love it. But... That's sort of the thing. <laughs> History's written by the victors. How the fuck is the Cold War history written? Because neither of them won.
1: History is written by the victors. That's why if you go into a French library and look through history books, they're all blank. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I wish we all no, here. The, the,
0: <laughs> the, 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 the very thing, because they had the French Revolution, <laughs> which was classed as a victory on themselves.
1: That wasn't a victory. There was just a lot of French people killed a lot of French people at the event of being French. That's not a victory exactly. for
0: anybody. It's a French victory for French. It's, apparently. All, it's also a French loss. <laughs> hey, Christ. Oh, I will I, let, I will let you it? regain control. I can't remember. Oh, it was to do with time. Something that you have no clue yes. Um. <gasps> oh, hold actually, up. Uh, right, uh, I need to
1: Google something because I can't remember the exact of it, but carry on.
0: Okay, I'll carry on. Uh, this is the fact that Uh, You know how inventions, they usually get, like, patented and everything like that, or they'll usually get made and it'll be done and dusted in a few years type thing. There'll be a few tests and all that sort of stuff. Uh, There was a clock which hadn't been built or, like, people didn't believe that it was possible. So it took hundreds of years for it to actually be made. Um, it is that in the in the 18th century, John Harrison, I don't think he's a relation, uh, claimed oh. that he could build a clock to keep time to within a second over 100 days. It triggered widespread ridicule at his time because they believed it couldn't be done. It was too it, all clocks were too inaccurate, all that sort of stuff. The clock has been built to his exact specifications in 2015 so it literally took hundreds of years for them to s- decide to get it built and see if it worked. To which it was declared the most accurate mechanical clock in the world. Mm. So he has been proven wrong 250 years after he was ridiculed. Uh... The timepiece known as Clock B, which had been sealed in a clear plastic box to prevent tampering, was officially declared by Guinness World Records to be the world's most accurate mechanical clock with a pendulum swinging in free air. It was an intriguing enough award, but what is really astonishing is the fact that the clock was designed more than 250 years ago by a man who was derided at the time for an incoherence and absurdity that was little short of the symptoms of insanity... And whose plans for the clock lay ignored for two centuries, the decision, the, sorry, the decision was poured on John Harrison, the British clockmaker whose marine chrono, chronometers had revolutionized seafaring in the eighteenth century, and who was the subject of Longitude by Dava Sobel. His subsequent claim that he could would go on to make a pendulum, pendulum timepiece that it was accurate to within a second over a 100-day period, triggered widespread ridicule as the task was simply impossible, according to everybody. Uh, now the, laugh lass has been, the laugh, last laugh has finally been given to Harrison, uh, at a conference, Harrison decoded, decoded towards a perfect pendulum clock held at Greenwich. In 2015, observatory scientists revealed that a clock had been built to the clockmaker's exact specifications and had run for 100 days during official tests and had lost only five-eighths of a second in that period. Mm. Uh, The quote is saying it's quite extraordinary achievement and a complete vindication of Harrison who suffered ridicule over his claim. Uh, This is a wonderful device. Harrison himself was a self-educated carpenter and clockmaker who achieved considerable fame in the mid 18th century for the marine chronometers that he designed to solve the problem that sailors then faced in determining their longitude at sea. Pinpointing where they lay on the Notional lines that run vertically on a map proved extremely difficult for navigators, however Harrison, in response to a government challenge, developed watches that contained a pair of counter-oscillating weighted beams connected by strings that turned out to be remarkably precise and allowed navigators to determine their position accurately. It was done by measuring local time and then comparing it with the time at Greenwich, which was provided by the chronometer. Uh, he was rewarded a considerable sum of money for his efforts, and he died a rich man. Not long before his book, before his death, however, he produced a book in which he lambasted some of his rivals and proclaimed that he could build a timepiece for use on land that was more accurate than any of his rivals had previously built. The machine, which ha- would have a long pendulum arc, relatively light bob, and a recoil grasshopper en- escapement would be able to keep time within, you know, uh, though it would need to be round, round regularly. Uh, the book was heavily criticised, uh, with people describing it as one of the most unaccountable productions ever met, uh, and the ideas of a super-accurate pe- pendulum were forgotten until the 1970s, when interest in the clockmaker and his remarkable timepieces was reawakened. Uh, the artist and clockmaker Martin Burgess worked on attempts to decipher Harrison's plans, and produced two versions of his great clock. The second of them, which is why it's Clock B, uh, has been the focus of the attempts to bring it to its maximum maximum accuracy in the past year. They've been fine-tuning the clock to, so that they could bring it to the full potential. So I'm not 100 sure if they had actually. Uh, If they'd actually um, gone by the full original blueprints, or if they'd done some slight tweaks, because it does say they've done some slight, like, fine-tuning. Yeah. But, yeah, the most accurate clock in the world comes from the 18th century. Well, the most accurate clock with a pendulum.
1: Yeah, so it works on the kind of the the, the, ticks. that's one sound, kind of, Yeah, no, another uh, uh,
0: Oh no, oh, sorry, it's, oh. no, it's fine. Uh, those clocks, uh, I think, they're notorious for losing time over periods, especially like if you haven't wound them in and, a while, it, yeah. the pendulum will slowly get slower and it will eventually stop, so it loses time. Apparently, this this uh, clock, even if it's like it even when it's wound regularly for even if it's run for a hundred days, it doesn't lose time i kind of feel sorry for the scientists and people who had to practice this or check this because it is the type of thing where they will have had to record it and checked on it every single day for 100 days which is a considerable amount of time when you think there's only 365 days in a year that's a third of a year basically yeah uh, I, I mean, I no scientists get bored, but I think this is a bit ridiculous. Some science experiments make no sense, are ridiculous, and just stupid. I am going. This one is to, interesting, but it's pointless. I am going to research, because I heard
1: oh, I heard something. And I can't remember, it's either a guy who is in charge of... He's either in charge of sport, proposed a time travel, or he's in charge of time, or GMT or something like that. Uh, but his, his nickname... He is actually nicknamed the Time Lord. So there is a guy in real life who is known as the Time Lord, but I can't find it. The minute it just keeps up with time travel stories and shit. <laughs> I'm not <too>
0: surprised.
1: <laughs> so I will research it.
0: Oh, my ass has gone to sleep. Oh,
1: also, I, I, put, no, I, put, I put man in charge of time, and it suggested Heinrich Himmler and Mikhail Gorbachev. I like I don't
0: think the that's fact it suggested Heinrich Himmler. That's just completely pointless. Yeah, but Gorbachev as well. Uh, I'm now... I'm now going to jump to pirates, because we were talking about muskets and musket balls and all that that sort of stuff. Uh, Yes. So I'm going to link back... God's sake, man, stop hiccuping. Link back to that, um, which is... That pirates were considered by the English government to be reserve naval forces and were sometimes given active encouragement, such as knighthoods. Royal pardons were regularly issued, and the public's opinion of pirates was often favourable. You've leaned
1: very close to Mike. Sorry. That's all right.
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, so basically, um, I never know how loud I am, so I just move closer and further yeah, back
1: Where and you're sitting now is fine, but then when you lean forward to read something, it goes very loud. Or when you get excited, you sit forward you know, and you, you forget All that right. you're actually closer to your mic.
0: You see, I'm like a little kid. It's like I get excited and I lean well, forward. And we're
1: going like, to yeah! we're gonna have to start strapping the microphone to you so that you're always the same distance, no matter how excited you get.
0: <laughs> I am. Hon- honestly... Just invent, like, a strap that goes around the chest with a pole that just sits there and straps to that, so I'm always the equidistance away.
1: Look, as Kyle just asked, give him a strap on. I think that's
2: Jay's territory.
0: I, th- <laughs> I didn't think of that? <laughs> Fuck off.
1: <laughs> well, make sure you mute your mic before you use it. I don't want to hear that on the podcast.
0: Uh, no, really, no. Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) Don't get him involved either.
0: That would be horrible to overhear.
1: No, come on, not.
0: (laughs) No, uh, yeah, no. Well,
1: to be fair, if it was the mic you were using, it would just sound. Squidgy. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It would. Squidgy. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) That word, squidgy. Do you want us to say a worse word? Moist. No. Yes. Squelchy. yeah uh, but no um so yeah um when people oh, think yeah. of pirates to think of them as being outlaws and like hated by the public and all this sort of stuff when in actual fact uh, they they were uh, privateers which was a separate thing uh but privateers who became pirates were generally considered by the English government to be reserve naval forces, and they were given active encouragement. Uh, as far back as 1581, Francis Drake was knighted by Queen Elizabeth when he returned to England from a round-the-world expedition, with plunder worth an estimated £1,500,000. Royal pardons were regularly issued, usually when England was on the verge of war, so that they could get the extra ships and stuff into the Navy, basically. Uh, and the public's opinion of pirates was often favourable, some considering them akin to patrons. Yeah. Uh, uh, an economist believes that pirates were generally shrewd businessmen, far removed from the modern, romanticised view of them as barbarians. Uh After Woods Rogers' 1718 landing in New Providence and his ending of the Pirate Republic, piracy in the West Indies fell into terminal decline. With no easily accessible outlet to fence their stolen goods, pirates were reduced to a substance livelihood, and following almost a century of naval warfare between the British, French and Spanish, during which sailors could find easy employment no matter what... uh, I mean, to the point where the British Navy would literally just find you drunk in a street, kidnap you, take you to a ship, and then by the time you woke up, you were at sea, and there you go, you're in the Royal Navy, bitch. Hey! Mm. Uh, But Lone Priority has found themselves outnumbered by the powerful ships employed by by the British Empire to defend its merchant fleets, So the popularity of the the slave trade helped bring an end to the frontier condition of the West Indies, and in these circumstances, piracy was no longer able to flourish as it once did. Since the end of this so-called golden age of piracy, Teach and his exploits have become the stuff of law, so Edward Teach the Blackbeard, inspiring books, films, and uh, even amusement park rides, and it's all been romanticised and thought of as the scoundrels, and everybody hated them and everything. But literally, if if in typical British fashion, if there was a war on, they would happily pardon the pirates if they would join in on the war because you knew they had ships, you knew they had gun, like you, there would be experienced fighters, or most of them would be experienced fighters. There would be experienced businessmen that could negotiate and things and trade with places for when they were exploring. So pirates were like the all-round mercenary type thing, where they could be used as explorers, they could be used as negotiators for a business type thing, they could be used as a strong arm against a nation, they could, and they could be used as just extra naval force. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the British army... Did some underhand deals with some pirates to go and harass the Spanish fleets, sort of like how submarines did in the World Wars, where it was just harassment mm-hmm. and destroying supply lines and stuff, but they never knew that the pirates were part of the English fleet because they were pirates, they were flying under the Jolly Roger. What I didn't
1: know um, is that uh, so, pirates and buccaneers. So what I what I thought was I thought I'd read somewhere that buccaneers were the privateers that were. So what I'd read somewhere, which I believe to be wrong, is that a pirate is someone. The act of piracy is to engage in. I, I can't remember the exact di, di, definition. De, dictionary, dictionary definition. Dictionary definition. But it's something along the lines of to engage in uh, criminal violence or, or uh, basically to attack someone. I'd say. Right, that's, yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's 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 supposedly the act of robbery or criminal yeah. violence by ship or boat borne attacker attackers upon another ship yeah. or coastal area. So it's it's
1: basically attacking someone while well, at sea. That's the definition of piracy, technically. Now, a buccaneer, I'd heard somewhere that war they were privateers. So privateers were people who would sail around and would lend their hand to whatever navy, whatever king, whatever country would need. that had their own ships and stuff like that, and they'd back up an army. That's what it was. And that pirates... It
0: was the equivalent of being a mercenary on the sea. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. And that pirates were obviously the criminals of the sea, but that's not the case. So what I did find was, I was looking at buccaneers, and I was looking through them, and it's essentially the same as pirates. So I was like, what's the difference? So the difference between Buccaneers. So the first true dif- distinction between the two is an actual meaning of the term. And so when speaking about pirates and Buccaneers, right, uh, most people would think of what you think of as a traditional pirate. However, a Buccaneer is defined a distinctly separate subclassification of a pirate. All Buccaneers are considered pirates, but not all pirates are Buccaneers. So Buccaneers only existed for a short period of time, Between the 1600s and 1700s, Buccaneers were extinct by the early 1700s. The name Buccaneer comes from the French word boucan, which is a smoked meat from wild pigs and cattle. The men who became Buccaneers started by selling these meats on the coast to ships passing through. Once they realized they could earn more money through piracy, they began the life of thievery. So Buccaneers were essentially people who sold smoked meats to ships and pirates and then realized, hold on, they're making more money than me and decided to be pirates themselves. Interesting. Which I didn't know. Also, Kyle's left the bill.
0: No, he's there. Uh, I'll be working in a second. (laughs) You can still hear one. One second. One second. I'm back. Hold on. I'm just setting fire to something. On purpose?
1: Yeah. Oh, you lighting a candle. Yeah. Have have you farted? Are you trying to get rid of the smell? (laughs)
0: No, I just wanted to change the smell in here because I've got different candles <laughs> for, like, different things. Oh,
1: it's that thing, isn't got, it? Like,
0: th- I've got, like, three different... Th- three ha, three <laughs> yeah. different candles.
1: Well, haven't thought we just drop on yet, Kyle. Don't sprinkle rose petals on your mic. I've said, that's <laughs>
2: that's <laughs> changed for Kyle.
1: Well, I don't know he's getting in the mood now. He's not here yeah.
0: I'm assuming I picked them all up. I think so. Okay. <laughs> cool. But Anyway, yes. Um, t- uh, what was I going to say? We're talking about pirates. Buccaneers. We were talking about pirates and buccaneers. And mercenaries. Right? So yes, um, the... Where is it? Be close again. I'm sorry. It's because I'm trying to. It's <laughs> try, I'm trying to figure things out. I'm sure there was another difference between buccaneers and pirates. I I always oh, thought no. the, the difference. But I always thought the difference between buccaneers and pirates was that pirates were like like I said, pirates are the ones that would go and like fight. Uh, they would fight a um a coastal city or a coastal village or something. All they would fight on the sea. Yeah. Uh, and Buccaneers I would was, only fight I, at sea. I, no, I thought Buccaneers were basically, like, a form of pirate, but they would just go further inland, like, they would go and fight right. settlements and stuff as well. I thought, like, a Buccaneer was just a, a form of pirate who they would, like... Yes, they would go to the coastal city and stuff, but they would go, like, further inland type thing and yeah. find get lucky further inland. Try and get lucky.
1: Where are well, all you your buccaneers? I mean,
0: like, you know what I mean, like, try, try and get, like, more wealth and stuff like that from going. Sort of like how the Vikings did, they started at the coast and then go f- further and further and keep going.
1: Fuck's sake. So, Will has joined us and said, where are your buccaneers? They're underneath me, fucking ass.
0: <laughs> Dear God.
1: Um, since Will is here, I know how Will and Jay know each other. Do you? Yeah.
0: Well, we can return to our Agincourt discussion now, that Will's here, if you have done that.
1: Yeah, we can do. So, it's basically frog's legs, which are tradition in in French cuisine, sautéed with garlic and lemon juice, or breaded and fried in cracker crumbs. Frog's legs are a delicacy in many European countries, mostly famous in France and Belgium. But... Right. The European Union imported four thousand two hundred and thirty four tons of frog's legs in two thousand and fifteen, so it's the limbs of somewhere between eighty four and two hundred million frogs, eighty-four million, not eighty four in total. Um would you like to know where the European Union, i.e. France, imports most of the frog's legs from?
0: Is it Indonesia by It is
1: Indonesia <laughs> it's basically it's it's um southeast asia in general but indonesia is the biggest the rainforest in indonesia have a lot of frogs what apparently the french like eat the legs off so yeah so that's how will met jay jay's been selling frogs (laughs) fair do (laughs) yeah i found a frog out completely by accident (laughs) and i was like holy shit i can link them
0: What, what you mean? Like we, we yes, always Will. find our right. We'll
1: we'll fill you in briefly. Will but basically, uh, quite a few podcasts ago now, w- I think Kyle brought up the fact when we're talking about Indonesia that the average height of an Indonesian is about five foot two. Uh, so so they've got the, sm- the
0: smallest average height. The,
1: of yeah, they've got the smallest average. Oh, it was Jordan, sorry, they've got the smallest average height of any nation. Uh, so Jay, Jay's well five foot two. It must be Indonesian. <laughs> yeah, Jordan stop buying this frogs' legs. <laughs> Yeah no Jordan keeps it going Anytime we mention Jay He jumps in with his Indonesian Yeah (laughs) Yeah
0: So That's why we need Jay back Just for Jordan's random bits Of going Indonesian
1: I will talk about The Battle of Agincourt However I will start I will start Possibly by please and will How
0: the French were dumbasses
1: Possibly by please and will But also possibly offended them with my shit French but the, uh, the Ajac, Aginc- the Battle of Ajacor, as it's, as it's called, um, is spelt and pronounced wrong because it's been anglicized. So it was actually near, it's Azanco because it's A-Z-I-N in France. And we call it Ajacor, as in A-G-I-N, because we've anglicized it. So it's actually wrong.
0: <laughs> is is it would it still be pronounced as Azencourt though? Because the don't the French sometimes pronounce it as uh,
1: yes, but sh- no. Sound? I I looked into it because I thought that's spelled differently. I looked into it and apparently in French, my pronunciation could be totally off, but it's basically Azencourt or Azencoucoucou. I don't know.
0: I mean, there's a lot of anglicised uh, history and stuff where we've changed bits and pieces, so. Well said Uh, I
1: don't know they don't include it in the history book. So I've got to tell you about it. So this they don't
0: include anything interesting in the history book the bad thing about it. Earlier,
1: we were talking about longbows that they are six feet tall, that the draw weight is two hundred pounds, so the equivalent of holding a fourteen stone person in your right arm. So Kyle, you were talking about how you couldn't just fight arrows quickly because you'd become tired. Right?
0: Yes, at the battle it, 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 they, would, they would have people specifically saying load, draw at the specific times so that you didn't just wear yourself yes. out after the first minute of firing.
1: Right, at the Battle of Agincourt, right, basically, uh, medieval archers could fire at least 10 arrows a minute, possibly a few more, right, in general, right? So that means that there were five, there were six thousand uh, British soldiers, because they were English and Welsh, at the Battle of Agincourt. Five thousand of them were archers on the English side, right? Which means five thousand archers firing approximately ten arrows a minute means that there were approximately fifty thousand arrows a minute heading towards the French. So that at any given time in the Battle of Agincourt, English archers would have had at least three arrows in the air, which is amazing yep. when you think of it.
0: Yeah, there's quotes, there's records from the French side uh, saying things like uh, the arrows like, you know, the whole traditional thing oh, of out the sky. Our, our arrows will blacken out the yeah. sky and stuff like that. It's literally, there's quotes in the French side, in the French writing saying their arrows did literally blacken the sky and make it make it, make it, make it, it sorry, it was raining arrows. Yeah. So, so I'll I'll go on with the, this. the the way the, the way the worded it because because the Battle of Agincourt happened when it was actually raining. Yeah. it was sort of it just added to the storm. It was like a storm and hail of arrows.
1: Fucking camp, campers, right? Will I'll tell you something. Uh, first of all, the Battle of Agincourt wasn't supposed to happen. So we had fought, oh. we had fought what we'd funded this massive military campaign. We went out there, would fought, would won the battle. we Was supposed to win, and then it it, it it's. Um it's stated that we ran into the French at Agincourt, right? Well, we were <laughs> retreating back to England, but that's not the... The whole point was, we could have, after we won that battle, we could have come straight home, right? But the king decided, I funded all this, this is this is why cancer tax started, so a higher tax rate in the in the UK. He was like, I funded all this. It, it's a massive military operation, it's really expensive. I can't come out here and say we've we'll won the fight in two days and go home. So he told all the, the soldiers basically to keep walking around for a little bit in France to make it seem like it was a longer campaign. Accidentally ran in, uh, the 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 French army in Argent. So uh I, I'll continue and I'll come back to that
0: of which there was one, mil- to, there, to, to which the French uh, records state there was, I think, five French royals or like generals to one English, like those yeah. one English commander to five... French so uh, I'll
1: I'll get to that in a minute, but back to the arrows. The French had to move about 200 paces to the English line, but it was in deep wood and obviously, like you said, torrential conditions, so it took them approximately four minutes. During that time, yeah. they would have... During that time, they would have faced at least 120,000 arrows, possibly up to 200,000. 120,000, which is a massive amount. Yeah. In, in about
0: four minutes. Um, it, it's, it it doesn't sound too bad when you when you think a, some of the, like a lot of the French troops were knights in heavy metal armor. Yeah. The issue with that is some of the British balls, it's some of the early plate armors, and some of the bulls, they could actually either penetrate the armor or just cause like blunt trauma. So same as how getting shot getting shot with a gun while wearing a bulletproof vest, it doesn't go through, but it still hits enough to knock the wind out of you and hurt you. Yeah. Arrows could do that, plus there was a lot of joints with weak points.
1: So it's it's a, it's, it's a so it's well documented that the English had um, about 9,000 men, so they had 8,000 artists and about 1,000 foot soldiers. The French, depending on where you read and what kind of research you read into, uh, had somewhere between 15 up to possibly 20,000 um, so somewhere around there. Now, basically what happened was we got there um, and the French kind of confronted me. Um and basically it was well-documented and well-known then that basically whoever made the first move would probably lose and whoever stood the ground would probably win. That, that's the way most battles went. Um, however, and the French knew that and um, basically, if we attacked that, they were just waiting. They were waiting for more people. Must be microphone before that. No?
0: I think he's just unplugged something. <laughs> he's just unplugged his mic.
1: Just my mic, so I don't know why you had it fit, but never mind. Um, we, they knew that there were more French, a lot more French coming. So they knew that they could just wait out. It didn't matter how long we wait. The longer we waited, the more people they would have there. We knew that we needed to get past them because we were busy retreating. Uh, but didn't know what to do, so we turned and done a mock retreat, but it meant we had to take down, you know, the pikes in the, in the floor to protect against the cavalry. Yeah. Right, dug in. Uh, it was a relatively new innovation, so we were experimenting with things. So the battle we'd run previously, we'd dug pits in front of our archers. Uh, then we had these pikes, we put them all out, we had to take them down, so we had to take them out, do a mock retreat, and then at some point we knew we had to turn around and face the French, but we couldn't actually attack them, we had to make sure they were coming after us. Um, so we've done that basically, but the French, a lot of the French um, cavalry was uh, apparently at the time either walking or feeding the horses, so they just didn't give a shit. They were like, they were standing there going, "Well, they're not going to move. Well, there's no point in us attacking them. We've got more people." So a load of knights went and took the horses for a walk or went to get the food. So when we yeah. were retreating and doing and the moving, that they, they had a chance when more defences went down and kind of missed it because they couldn't give a shit then the attack obviously it was it was catastrophic for them so you you were talking about the nobles so
0: yes. estimates for the number no- I, I will say on the on the defense part we did actually i'm sure we did actually manage to set up our defenses again because they missed the opportunity yeah and it's one of the reasons we won because by the time the french actually actually reached our lines especially if it was cavalry the archers would have probably shot the horses specifically so that the like knights would have had to go th- go through the mud. By the, by, the Think about trawling through mud when you're on a hike and stuff. It wears you out. Yeah. Now, in full armour, a French knight doing it, trawling through while protecting from arrows and bombardment, by the time it reached the archers' line, they were so exhausted and the archers were so fresh and like, eh, we haven't moved, that the archers could literally just get daggers and clubs and, like, hammers and stuff and beat the knights to fucking death and stabbed them through the eye slits and stuff because the French knights were so knackered they couldn't actually fight efficiently because they were just haggard so, by the time they reached our the line. Uh, basically,
1: they, they were wearing uh, 50 to 60 pounds of armour, so between 23 and 27 kilograms, uh, and they were walking in sticky clay, so it was getting heavier every step they took. Um And obviously, they were, they were going over dead people. Um... The yeah, with
0: with every line English being longer, yeah,
1: the English archers, uh, the longbow could penetrate wrought iron breastplate at short range, and could penetrate thinner armor on limbs even at range of about two hundred meters or two hundred twenty yards. Um, yeah. even even the knights had weak spots. Um, uh, so. The quote that I have here is that a French monk of Saint-Denis described it as a terrifying hail of uh, an inconceivable arrow shot. Um, yeah. We then took a load of, Henry took a load of prisoners and then executed them. So anyway, the aftermath, right, this is what I was going to before when you said the the the, the numbers. So the, do, 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 where am I? Uh. English sources give English casualties in double fingers. Recorded evidence identifies at least 112 Englishmen killed in the fighting. Obviously, some uh, died afterwards because of infection, so there was a reported maximum of 600 dead on the English side, which included the Duke of York, the Earl of Suffolk, and Welsh Esquire, Daphid Gam. However, right, are you ready for this? The French had suffered a catastrophic defeat. All in all, around 6,000 of their fighting men lay dead or heavily injured on the ground. The list of casualties, one historian has noted, is like, is like reading the roll call of the military and political leaders of the past generation. Among them were between 90 to 120 great lords and bannerets killed, including three dukes, nine counts, uh, one viscount, an archbishop, one of the great royal office holders, a uh, constable, an admiral uh, the master of the crossbowmen and his three sons, the master of the royal household guard, uh, and the two marshals. Uh, according to the Heralds, 3,069 knights and squires were killed. At least two thousand sixty or more corpses were found without court of arms, by which means to identify them. Entire noble families were wiped out of the male line, and in some regions, an entire generation of landed nobility was completely annihilated. The bailiffs, so these were people like police constables, they were in charge of, um yeah. f- like... Uh, uh, we're upholding the law. The, the, right? the, uh, they the would, they
0: would uphold the, yeah. law, the law and collect, like, collect taxes and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, of
1: nine major northern towns were killed, often along with their sons, relatives, and supporters. In the words of Juliet Barker, the battle cut a great sway through the natural leaders of French society in Artois, in Normandy, and Picardy. So, we, we basically, yeah, we, we de- decimated them. Um, and then, uh Henry VIII then went, uh, so No, Henry V, Henry then uh, hen- then went, um, basically killed a load of prisoners after that. So then, in yeah. March 2010, a mock trial of Henry V for crimes associated with the slaughter of the prisoners was held in Washington, D.C. Drawing from both the historical rec- record and Shakespeare's play, participating judges were, ju- uh, were Justices Samuel uh, Alito and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, the trial ranged widely over whether there was just cause, whether it was just cause for the war and not simply the prisoner issue. Although the audience voted too close to call. Henry was unanimously found guilty by the court on basis of evolving standards of civil society. So basically they couldn't. The, they held a mock trial when, was he guilty of basically being addicted to commit war crimes? Couldn't really call it and then went, well, if it was nowadays, he probably would be.
0: I'm sorry, we'll probably yeah, yeah. get, like, <laughs> in all our faces. Okay, you need,
1: need to move,
3: <laughs> move a hell of a lot further away. Move a hell of a lot
1: further away from your microphone. account.
3: It sounds like something that we'll probably, like, end up further in away. jail for. It sounds like something that we'll probably end up in jail for, you That's know. That's right. Yes, it does. Yeah.
2: It's but nice the, to see.
1: No, there's no, no, not
3: with holding up but just but to the, these the standards.
0: Hello, people. This is the thing. Back back then, it was standard. Yeah, Jay's joined as we're ending. Yes, but yeah, um, it 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 was standard back then. Like part of the whole thing of getting, uh, getting into being a longbowman for your lord and stuff was that a lot of the time you would be able to go and take hostages, and you would do ransoms, and it was so it was in such a sort of natural part of it. That they even had a system where if you got a, high, a person you could get a high ransom for, you handed them over to your captain and you would get paid for it, you would then ha- you your captain would pay for it, and then the king and the captain would get the ransom, or if it was someone who would get a low ransom, you could ransom them yourself mm-hmm. you got you got nine tenths of the payment and then you gave that last tenth to the captain and the king and stuff as a way of sort of payment of I've took a ransom, he has my bit to the kingdom. Yeah. So it was such a natural part of having ransoms and like having prisoners and stuff that no one gave a shit.
1: Can I take this opportunity before we do leave? I've got I've got two I've got one other story which is hilarious, but before I do go there, on the link of bullying Will because he's in France and she being an Indonesian. I can insult Jay and Will using the national anthem. <laughs> Uh, Are you ready for this? I'm not
0: surprised So
1: God Save the Queen or King Depending on the reign of Monarch um, yep. Has basically it, It's been Officially We'll oh, find it here uh, uh, it, It's It's been officially since about the 1800s I think 1833 uh, ish From what I can say here Um but the original lyrics, oh, right, sorry, in 1745, uh, were God save great George, our king. Long live our noble king. God save the king. Send him victorious, happy and glorious. Long live long to reign over us. God save the king. So it was uh, basically ours now, but it wasn't George, obviously, because the Queen's not called George. Um, so, yeah, uh, but there's been many, many different versions so, during the, uh, Jacobite, um, rising, right, in 1745. Uh, the prayer for success because it wasn't so the original anthem was eighteen twenty two was when it became the national anthem. But before then it was a quite often cited prayer or it was chanted at events and stuff like that. It was sang to the king, it was yeah. done in plays Uh it, and it was, it was it was it
0: was like a Muslim yeah. mobile booster on battle. Yeah, it, was, it
1: was, well well it was like a pre war prayer when you were going at a battle that read the prayer like God save the king, blah blah blah. So in seventeen forty five anti Jacobite Sentiment was captured in a verse appended to the song with a prayer for the success of field. Marshal George Wade's army assembling at Newcastle. These words attained some short-term use, though did not appear in the published version in October 1745. However, oh, no there was a verse in it. Go on then.
3: Right. Well, Newcastle, Newcastle upon Tyne, Newcastle under Lyme, or Newcastle Australia.
1: New. Well, it wouldn't be Newcastle, Australia, would Newcastle. it? It
3: was a Newcastle upon Tyne. It's our Newcastle.
1: It was our Newcastle. If we Newcastle.
3: say Newcastle, we mean our Newcastle. Yes. Yeah, there's like, um, halfway down the country, uh, on the west side, there's a Newcastle underline.
1: Yes, I know there is. There's somebody somebody, somebody came for our Newcastle phoned our Newcastle upon a dealership to try and buy a car then realised that we weren't at Newcastle upon line and he didn't want to drive forwards to get the iron kicked off. Like, it was our fault that he couldn't read a website, but never no <laughs> my Um Yeah, so, the, 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 the thing, feed, uh, sorry, uh, Field Marshal George Wade's army added in a uh, line in the anti-Jacobite uprising saying, Lord grant that Marshal Wade may it by thy mighty aid victory bring. May he sedition hush like a torrent rush, rebellious Scots to crush. God save the king.
0: <laughs> so, fuck you, Jane. Just... <laughs> yeah. Basically, just add a bit in for the army saying, God save this army! It's going to kill everybody. Yeah, it's going to it's going to
1: crush the rebellious Scots. There was also an (laughs) anti-French one. uh, uh, The verse quoted in the book *Handel* by Edward J. Dent. It was from France and pretender, Great Britain defend her. Fours let them fall from foreign slavery, priests and their knavery and popish reverie God save us all. (laughs) So there's been times when we really have liked the French. All the Scots, and we've just decided, we'll put that in my national anthem. Well, it wasn't my national anthem then. Uh, do you know how... I think, how, think we just decided to add it to everything. Do point? you know how many uh, countries it's our the national or royal anthem of, like,
0: now? Isn't it, like, nine or something ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Some of our colonies, old colonies, still use it.
1: 22. Technically. Oh. So, it's Antigua and Barbuda, Australia, it's, it's still a royal anthem, it's not the national anthem, of course. Norfolk Island, uh, the Bahamas, Barbados, Belize, Canada, Grenada, and Jamaica, it's the royal anthem. New Zealand, it's national and royal anthem. The Cook Islands, the Nui, the Tokalu, Papua New Guinea, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, where the E-Turtles and Jay's gonna at some point the Solomon Islands, Tavula, and obviously the United Kingdom, and it's all its counter Dependencies and overseas territories. But it was also the former National Royal Anthem of British America, uh, Ceylon, Cyprus, Fiji, Gambia, Ghana, Guyana, Hawaii, Hong Kong, Somalia, India, the Irish Free State, Kenya, Malawi, Malaya, Malaya uh, Malta, Mauritius, Nigeria, Pakistan, Rhodesia, Sierra Leone, Singapore, South Africa, uh, Tang, Tangankika, Trinidad and Tobago, and Uganda. I know. Uh, so some of them, like Hawaiian stuff, uh, were never weren't under British control ever. It's just that uh, we were the first ones to make the national anthem a thing, and a lot of people kind of like um, just, just adopted it. Well, like, oh, that's great! Yeah, I'll have, to we'll have like a national and, and kind of copied it. So apparently, Liechtenstein is still the same tune. It's the same thing. It's got different words and stuff. It means a different thing. It's not. a, But because of that, whenever Lichtenstein plays Scotland, they get booed straight away, like massively when it's a national anthem. They like, how disrespectful.
0: Just because it's similar to the British one. Right. Shall we end, my dear fellow? Before this? you that... do,
1: I would like to talk for two minutes about the war.
3: Which right? war? So
1: it links, it links back to when you were talking about the Second World War. And this is about a spy. The best spy I've ever heard of. It was called Gosta Karoli, right? Okay. He and so Kyle's friend, obviously. <laughs> uh, this, I mean, this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, Gosta Karoli, right, and his friend Wolf Schmidt, who was a Danish citizen, were two genuine Nazis who trained together and were friends, right? They were among the original batch of na- Nazi spies in the Second World War. So the parachuted into the, the Northamptonshire countryside in September 1940, right? At which point caroli Land got concussed and tried to sleep off the concussion in a ditch. A farmer saw his leg poking out, and so he was arrested. Right? <laughs> Not a good start. Right?
0: No, that, that's a typical invading Britain start.
1: When he was arrested, uh, they thought he was lying about being a spy because he pretty much fessed up straight away because it was a good thing in these in in the early war second world war because uh if you're a spy and you're arrested the, the british government would say well do you want to spy for us and you get a chance to like double cross anything and avoid prison and all that kind of stuff so he went yeah i'm spying that they didn't believe him because he he spoke with such a german accent that they were like he can't even speak clear english surely the germans are stupid enough to send a spy that can't even speak english that has a german accent so they didn't believe him found out he was actually a spy Right. This guy's fucking brilliant. I mean, he's so bad. So, they said, you're going to spy for us and that. He was like, okay. Then he changed his mind because he didn't want to turn against the Germans, Right? So, the, at this point, uh, they realised that his friend had also been captured and that there were friends and stuff. So, they, they basically was coerced into a turn into a double agent. So, they said that, basically, if he... Spied for us and turned into a double agent, that Schmidt would be spared. Uh, so we agreed. Then they told Schmidt that Caroli had sold them out, and so Schmidt was so furious that he swung sides anyway. Right? <laughs> Typical <laughs> British Typical behaviour. British
0: <laughs> <for his> psychology.
1: <laughs> yeah. But this is where it gets brilliant. Caroli quickly, quote, quickly became a problem. Okay? In a safe house in Cambridge, all double agents had minders to check that they weren't going to go rogue. He crept up behind his minder, who was playing cards at the time, tried to throttle him with a piece of rope. That didn't work, so he apologised and tied him to a chair. He ran away. Oh, you it gets better. He ran away with a tin of <coughs> pilchards, a pineapple, and a large canvas canoe. Right? What the fuck would he need a pineapple for? <laughs> a tin of pilchards and a canoe. <laughs> I don't know. Right. He stole a motorcycle and set off towards the coast with the canoe balanced on his head. He vaguely planned a road to, to Holland. <laughs> right? But became unstuck after he fell off his bike in front of an off-duty policeman. <laughs> I'm not surprised he had a canoe what he said. He asked him to help throw the canoe over a hedge to hide it. He did, then immediately reported that a man with a German accent and a canoe on his head just fell off his motorcycle and asked him to dispose of the canoe. He was eventually re- <laughs> he was eventually recaptured later and was deemed clearly unfit for double agent work and that he was judged too much trouble to be used. So he spent the rest of the war in prison. <laughs> the worst spy the worst ever.
0: Spy. <laughs> oh Christ! I just
1: had to I share am. that with you. Right.
0: Shall we end, my dears? Yeah.
3: yeah. Before we end, I like to make an announcement. I probably won't be here for the past for the next couple of weeks. The past couple of weeks. <laughs> next couple of weeks. <laughs> the
0: past next few weeks. The past, the past, past next few. I, I I've had a
3: very long week. Um, Not the I next past weeks. I look like a drumstick lolly because I am sunburned all over the fucking place because more come decide to be sunny.
0: What about
1: Wise? To be fair, the way Jay said that and the way his microphone is, I thought he
3: said Morcombe. Morcombe. Uh, <laughs> the big, like, is such a funny place. It's it's, it's a lovely place, don't get me wrong. But the way it's spelled, it's more can more can be. Well, yeah, Morcombe. Yeah, it's Morecambe. Yeah, it's Morcombe. and the 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 um, people of Morcombe are quite lovely. And some of them are quite obnoxious. I yeah, when mean.
0: you say it, it, does sound like you. Morecam- <laughs> <More laughs> God- <laughs> that, that's,
3: that's how they pronounce it down there. They like, say, oh yeah, um, Morecambe's lovely. But, you know. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> In all fairness, I, 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 I'm going from the <clears throat> West Seaside to Hartlepool on the East Seaside. So, yeah, Why are you always uh, playing at the always- Seaside? Because we're going to have a trip to the seaside. I oh, do
0: like to be by a yeah. seaside. Yeah. That's the song yeah, I want to, like to, to be
1: to by be the seaside. And that's yeah. all you can sing before it gets drunk. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> so I thought well, I'll come and say hi to our lovely fans and probably the new listeners that are going to be living in Mokum. But
0: instead, you can yeah you can do our <laughs> outro my dear fellow
1: oh no! you can so thank you to everybody for supporting to uh, us for doing to for, us and for know? generally just being a part of this
0: and if you're watching the live stream this is some of the merch you can buy on the store it's a lovely sleek black shirt with just this little logo it is beautiful. It's inconspicuous, oh, so it doesn't look like you're actively supporting anybody. unless as anybody asks, what the logo's from? It's nice. It's subtle. It's beautiful, and it's comfy as <laughs> fucking fuck. And will just appear and then spotted off because it's all finished.
3: Then <laughs> simple.
1: <laughs> Disclaimer. Uh, Disclaimer. Uh,
3: the coat hanger and Kyle does not. It's not included into the merch. I mean, you can have Kyle no, if you're you're you not want. <laughs> <promise>. <laughs> you can have Kyle. If, if we're going to sell Kyle, if you give us 10 million Freddles, you get Kyle. We ship them.
0: 10, <laughs> 10 million Freddles, you get me. That's not worth like it. Kyle's not, How much is that worth? It's all
1: right, well, There's no problem. You don't need to <laughs> apologize.
0: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: if you want to buy our merch, go to www.takingoffair.com forward slash shop. But, um, come the week of 5th of May, it's. You can also on um, our the 4th website of, the fourth of Sorry, May, there's the website's going to be taken down and a new design and new updates and more merch is going to be added on um support us well Stefan you 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 join us
1: uh, you join I was I was I was just going to say that as well as all the merch and things you can also find all of our past episodes and season 1 on our website everything's linked there um, and you can listen to us on whatever platform you usually listen to podcasts so spotify amazon music apple music whatever you do We'll
0: be there. Annoying you. We week. are also on social social media as people who are listening to us live will know we are on Facebook, Twitter, uh, fucking Instagram, whatever we feel like to be honest. Uh, just search Taken Off Air or Swept Aside Productions and you will find us. But most of it is under Taken Off Air. Yes. Um, and If you want to buy us a coffee we have a Wait, buy those guys a coffee, buy me a tea. Buy me a coffee. Buy me a tea. Yes, buy Stefan a coffee. Buy uh, Stefan a coffee that will give him a heart attack. Can we? I'd like
3: to point out that um, the funding for coffees is not going to go for coffee for me and Stefan because I have decided we're going to save that money up and buy a brandy sword. Yes, I want a brandy sword. (laughs) A sword
1: full of brandy. Hi, Kat. Incredible thought. Buy us a brandy sword.
3: At buymeacoffee.com buy buy <laughs> forward slash taking off air. Buy a cup of tea at buymeacoffee.com forward slash taking off air. Buy Jordan a paint at buymeacoffee.
1: Basically, Take if you air. go to buymeacoffee.com forward, forward slash taking off air, you can buy us anything that isn't a coffee.
3: Yeah. <laughs> If you want to support us, just a one-off donation. Buy me a coffee. is the easiest route. Also, the easiest route is going to supporter.acast.com forward slash affair. The links for the support of our ACAST funding is all over the place on this episode description on the actual description of our podcast. Um
0: it's just everywhere. It's everywhere we also have patreon if you want to do like monthly things where you do get sneak peeks such as an entire episode of me talking to myself because the audio for these guys didn't go through so it just sounds like I am yeah talking to so myself you,
3: for an hour. you'll get 14. featuring so... kyle's girlfriend so it's not completely all... oh, um he's not completely talking himself it's not
0: insane he's what i mean <laughs> Let's not get He is okay, insane. <laughs> And thank you to everybody that's already donated. Thank you very much. The funds will probably be going towards better equipment. But let's face it, at the moment, the funds are just going to sit there until we have enough to probably pull off some harebrained schemes, such as go karting of some stupid shit. I
3: already have lots of brain schemes. Yeah, it's gone on your face. On that's how
1: much stuff you've got.
0: On YouTubes and stuff
1: that's a hair face hair
0: face Uh, I have just realised we're in descending levels of like moustacheness
1: well not on my screen because it's me then Jordan then you then Jay
0: in my screen it's me then Jordan then Stefan then Jay so it's (laughs) moustache and beard then just moustache then sort of little (laughs) bit moustache and goatee and then just me with me nothing
3: you Yeah. Anyway, you we're just Robert.
0: now.
1: we're Robert now. Find we in the description. You can support. You can uh by donating. You can also support just by sharing us and liking and interacting with us. So you can and recommend yeah.
0: recommend us to your friends. Recommend us to your family. Recommend us to everybody. Recommend us to your cat yes. if you feel like it. Just get with him out there. We're not
3: yeah. we're not after money, so you don't have to, so you don't have to donate any money to us. Only thing we ask if you want to support us. And you don't have any money. We don't want your money. Just share us. Make make us ruin someone's day. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's what we we're want here to for. get it out there to, <laughs> to the point that when we, we we want to get to the point where when we tweet someone like Elon Musk, We'll make it like, out spam like, Bully, bully, bully <laughs> them into accepting Freddy's in exchange. Freddy's in exchange Freddy's? for us going to the mall. It's kind of people call Freddy's.
3: By the sounds of it, he I has. i
1: think we should end it here yeah, before he gets outed and Interpol arrives. <laughs>
0: hey. Okay. Anyway. Th- yep. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. Bye. And listening.
3: Jordan's I'm, gone. And watching. Mm.
0: Jordan went a while ago. Yeah, don't disappear. <sighs> Jordan's a ghost. He was never here. Ooh. Get
1: your own control. You need it.